Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We are back on the Oz Network to wrap up the very end of Jennifer Garner Month. Uh, at least the first Jennifer Garner Month. I'm sure we can stretch this out for a couple more years if we really try hard. Let's just start covering Alias once a month per year. And I don't know, we'll be done in a couple of years, decades, I don't know, something like that. Start, start covering all of her... Uh, uh posts that she does online with her videos let's start covering all of her instagram posts from her farm uh (laughs) whatever type of yoga videos she puts out or all that other stuff that occasionally i get notifications for uh but we're gonna wrap it up with uh something i think is the best way to wrap it up which is an action movie uh the only thing we haven't covered on this month which is the thing she kind of became known for in the first place we were talking about 2018's peppermint that title <laughs> awful title though well well we'll get to that pretty early i think but uh but great movie and uh, i actually think this i think this is the second time we've talked about this movie i don't know if you were there the first time but uh i don't know you finally get to give an opinion if you weren't uh so this is the 2018 return to action for jennifer garner uh from the director of taken starring the star of alias and a bunch of other people and children uh, who like peppermint ice cream. Uh, <laughs> That's the only reason there, for the name. There we go. That's, <laughs> we found a way to explain the title of the movie. Um, my name is Colin, and tell me my name and you'll live. My name is Jamie, and you hit like a girl. That's true. Uh, it's also a line of the movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got it from you. You told me my opening line. I didn't even have to do any work. <laughs> I gave you my opening line, uh, and I thought it would be better for you to tell me I hit like a girl than for me to tell you you hit like a girl, because it loses some of the context. And then you had to go back and do double the work and find a new one for yourself. Exactly, yeah. But uh, yeah, Peppermint. Um, This movie, I remember being really excited about this and telling everybody I know. And it's funny because I still will have people every once in a while come up and go, hey, you know, I finally watched that Peppermint movie that you you were talking about for so long. Uh, I was so excited before this movie was coming out because... I mean, A, is Jennifer Garner returning to action movies, but B, this is like one of my favorite genres. I mean, I'm going to use a phrase which doesn't really apply in this movie as much, but Jerry Action film. You know, this is the, the, it was the phrase that was coined by Sean Penn when he also got into the action genre from Pierre Morel, the same director as this movie and director of Taken, uh, because there was that big craze that happened after Taken came out. Taken sort of said, let's do an action movie, but let's use Liam Neeson, who's like 50-something years old at the time, 53 or something like that when the movie came out. And then a year later, we had The Expendables, and then that thing exploded. And then it seemed like you had a new movie every single year, a couple times a year. Uh, Some of the actors, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think are geriatric. You know, Sean Penn, when he did The Gunman for Pierre Morel, he's the one who kind of coined that phrase, geriatric star, which I think just, I think it appropriately applies to 
anybody who is later in their career getting to action. You're not talking about a 20-something action star. So we have Jennifer Garner, who unfortunately gets grouped in with that, even though she was, what, like 45 when she made this movie, or 46? Uh, and then other people, like, you know, uh, Keanu Reeves wasn't necessarily, like, you know, geriatric when he did John Wick, but all these movies, older action stars, which is something that I'm obsessed with. And I mean, you know, because you typically will buy me Jerry action films for either my birthday or Valentine's Day, funny enough. Uh, it was sort of Valentine's Day tradition where you started buying me stuff like The Equalizer and John Wick and uh, Jack Reacher and all those things. But uh, I'm a huge fan of this genre. And I got so pumped when this movie was coming out because Jennifer Gardner was doing an action movie again, and this is the type of movie that I love, and, uh, you know, a director who's proven this before. And it wasn't until recently that I realized that you didn't see this movie when it first came out. Because there was another movie that came out the same weekend that I believe we saw together, and I went back later that day or the next day or something like that and saw this one myself. So I think the first time you saw this would have been a couple months later when you got this for me for my birthday. But uh, I don't know if you have any memories of seeing this movie the first time. Did you even expect anything? Was this just like, okay, Colin's just into all these movies. You know, it's if it's Jennifer Garner driving a snowplow, you know, uh, it's obviously going to be just as big of a hit. But do you even remember this movie? Colin, I don't even remember last week. Okay, well, I, I asked you, have you seen this movie before? And you said, yeah, a couple times. I ha- well, I have, but I don't remember the first time I saw it. I'm not, I'm not a psychopath like you who remembers everything. I think most people can remember seeing things. Uh, I barely remember even my wedding day. I, I remember more when our firstborn was born, but I, I honestly like don't even remember our wedding. It's a haze. I'm so glad that you cover these movie months with us. So we're talking about great memories of seeing movies. Well, I mean... She forgot what she was going to say. Uh, well, I, I don't have to... Well, uh... I just have to give my opinion on the movie, like, right after I watch it. I don't have to tell you my first memories of it from, like, when I was, like, a child and, let's say, like, you know, four, well, it's, four, four years and seven days old and I first watched this movie and I felt so, like this. It's sort of what we do on the show. If you listen to our podcast, you know that. Okay, well, I, I don't have that great of a memory, so only present tense is what you get. All right, well, this was a present... For me, you got it for me for my birthday. Do you remember that? No, but okay. I'll trust you because you re- you're usually right. Do you remember what else you got me for my birthday that year? S-E-X? No! <laughs> uh, you got me Covert Affairs, one of my favorite TV shows, Covert Affairs, the final season, and Peppermint. Uh, I got those both for my birthday. Oh, Spy Girls. Yeah, well, you were, we were getting ready to move like a week later. And I told you one thing. I, you, ha, you had some help because you were very pregnant with the twins. You had some help. And I said, no matter who comes over to help you pack, don't touch my things because I want to know where they are or I'll never find them again. Now, we moved. I found Peppermint. We're still looking for covert affairs. We've been living here for over three years now. Yeah, somebody probably like just dumped it in the garbage. It, well, happy birthday to me. But, uh, <laughs> but anyways, this movie, I mean, thoughts on it then since you have no recollection of having ever seen it before, but you knew you'd seen it. Well, the, the title is completely awful, but the movie is very good. Well, okay, I want to say, the title's not awful. The title just should have been used at some point else in the movie, you know? I, well, it's it's just meaningless. That would be like uh, Batman and Robin, like you know, um, the the one with uh, Alicia Silverstone and stuff, uh, where there's the motorcycles. If, if uh, all of a sudden the movie was just called Batman and Robin, motorcycles. Yeah, yeah well... It's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like you, it's, you see it and it's not even important to the movie. Yeah, well, let's start. I mean, first, I'm just going to say, in case anybody, including Jennifer Garner, is listening, I love this movie. Yes, I've seen it many I do times. Too. Yes. Um, the title, I still think this this make a great title. Everybody assumed 
this would be like a code name she adopted, right? Nobody knew until you saw the movie that the name Peppermint comes from the fact that that's spoiler her, that's her daughter's ice cream. Well, <laughs> spoiler in, ca- cream. in case nobody has watched this movie yet, but you should. Her daughter dies and she comes back for revenge. But hey, the, the, you're not the, supposed to say that. The last the last thing that her daughter ordered was a double scoop of peppermint ice cream. Hence the title Peppermint. Um, and like, now, well, what kid likes peppermint ice cream? Though? I like, do. Let's be honest. You're weird. I love peppermint. Okay, but you're talking about like chocolate, mint, mint chocolate chip. That's, I think, different than peppermint ice cream. I've never even no. heard of or had peppermint ice cream. Like peppermint candies. Well, okay, then I might be willing to give it a try. Okay, but but um, but yeah, the, the title Peppermint, <laughs> you could you could have made this and said, oh well, she adopts the name Peppermint. Like people are like, what's your name? She just call me Peppermint. You know, like <laughs> it's it's still kind of like, well, that's an interesting name, but it, it it's never used in the movie. And so this movie's title is literally referring to an ice cream flavor that her daughter ordered. Well, I think it would be more relevant if they called it something like Angel of Death or yeah. whatever. Well, be- because then the, like it's mentioned a couple times in the movie like oh, we have an angel. We have an angel and then there's a painting of her on on the wall like with mm-hmm. obviously her face kind of covered. She's wearing a hood covering her face and she has wings or whatever and she she like kills all the bad guys. So Angel of Death would be like super relevant. Well, and and that is sort of the code name that she has and you know that's the appropriate I almost wonder whether this movie was supposed to be called Angel of Death and the studio said ah we don't want a title like Angel of Death you know we want something you know that's not quite as like intimidating yeah exactly Uh, and were you you gonna say the same thing about Angel of Death well yeah I've been thinking that since the first time I saw this movie I finished seriously you've never mentioned it I walked out of the theater and thought to myself why didn't they just call it Angel of Death and again I don't mind the title Peppermint if she was ever called Peppermint you know if if, if we had a just call me Peppermint you know like but like all I could think to myself is like thank god that they didn't go out for pie because imagine if this movie were called Key Lime. Yeah. Like, uh, what are we going to do for your birthday? We're going to go for pizza. We're going to go to the carnival. <laughs> then we're going to go get cookies. What's this movie? Jennifer Garner as the angel of death in Oatmeal Raisin. Like, <laughs> How about, like, mashed potatoes? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Sorry, we're not going to have pizza, but we're going to go for chicken and mashed potatoes. Uh, all the things that this movie could have been called. Uh, I-, I will say peppermint probably more acceptable than key lime oatmeal raisin or mashed potatoes or angel of death well i still say i like angel of death i but, do too but I, I didn't other... know you were thinking that that's wild i think everybody who's seen this movie has probably walked out of it thinking the same thing why didn't they call it angel of death now here's the other thing this genre i mean yes you had taken right um but john wick jack reacher the equalizer is more a code name but let's just say john wick and jack reacher right you know, these are probably the two characters that are, are most associated with like this, you know, I don't even want to say Jerry action anymore, but let's say middle-aged action star. Uh, and you could have just called this movie Riley North if you wanted, you know? Like, that That sounds like a tough enough name. Yeah. I'd go see Riley North. Or just North. Well, they couldn't do that because there was a movie called North way back in the day that oh, was, was like there? considered one of the worst movies of like the 90s. Oh, maybe just Riley then. I don't know. <laughs> Riley is just the type. Riley. And that, well, which, but, which one do you like better? Riley or mashed potatoes? Uh, maybe mashed potatoes. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I think what we're discovering here is that maybe them going with peppermint even without an explanation 
maybe wasn't the worst thing in the world because there could have been worse titles. But but anyways, uh, this movie, as far as the backstory goes, I don't know much about it other than the fact that uh, one of the inspirations for it was to do a female version of The Punisher. And it's funny because as much as I say like Jack Reacher and Taken and, and John Wick, uh, and Equalizer, that's the other one, uh, all of these other movies that this now is probably closely associated with because those are the movies out at the time, and there are similarities – it's the Punisher that I always feel this is the most similar to because it's involving a person who has their entire family killed, who disappears and then comes back as this, you know, kind of anonymous vigilante, you know, that this person is just and, and becomes a bit of a cult figure as well. Uh, so this movie was sort of just developed as a female version of the Punisher. And uh, Jennifer Garner did a little bit of talking about the fact that like she hadn't done action in a long time. Uh, and, and just as her backstory, I mean, when she was offered Alias, I mean, J.J. Abrams had known her before he did Alias and kind of wrote Alias for her. He's like, I want to do a female spy. And he wrote this with her in mind. Never really had to. I don't think she had to audition even. J.J. Abrams is just like, this is your show. Jennifer Garner had not, you know, been the type, wouldn't have been the type of person to just say, I'm holding out for something better. I mean, she, she wasn't at that point in her career where she could just turn something down. Uh, plus, I mean, what an incredible story. What an incredible show. Uh, but when it got very close to filming, she was so reluctant. She basically told J.J. Abrams the story is, you know, I, I think you picked the wrong person. Like, I'm yeah. not this type of girl. I, I can't do this physical stuff. And J.J. Abrams just said, you know, I think you can do it. You can do this. Has she done anything like physical besides the alias and Electra in this movie, or is that it? There's one movie that she made, and that's that's kind of what's interesting about this. It's not just returning from Alias. After Alias kind of became a big thing, obviously she got uh, Daredevil and Electra. Uh, but then the next big movie that she had come out minus thirteen going on thirty after Alias ended was called The Kingdom. And it's a pretty average movie. I mean, if we do another month like this next year for her 51st birthday, maybe we'll cover it. But uh, it's like her and uh, Jamie Foxx, I think, was in it as well. Chris Cooper. Uh, and it was more of a military-style movie. Um, I thought it was okay. But yeah, that's probably the next closest thing she's had to action. Other than that, really, she just allowed her career to kind of evolve into comedy and drama. I mean, she's... We're, we've sort of tried to cover all the different genres that she's been involved with since uh, the start of this month. We, she does the comedies like 13 Going on 30, you know? She does the family dramas like uh, The Odd Life of Timothy Green. Um, you know, you could even lump Juno in there if you want. Uh, and then she has the um, uh, the action movies, obviously, like this, The Kingdom, Electra, Daredevil. Uh, and then Draft Day, just like straight character dramas. You know, you have stuff like um, the, the Dallas Buyers Club and everything. Uh, but... But yeah, like it's 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 been a long time, or it had been a long time since the kingdom. We're looking at like over a decade before since she had done real action, and she kind of wanted to go back to this because she's like, you know, I'm at that point in my life where it's like I kind of want my kids one day to see that like I can still do this, you know, yeah. uh, I can still pull it off. And I mean, she's 50 now. I mean, still could probably pull off Peppermint Two if they ever get made, or Angel of Death Two, or Mashed Potato Two, whatever you want to call it. Huh. But. Uh, but, like, we're talking four years ago. I mean, I'm sure she had to really get back in shape for this movie. As, as great shape as she's in, she had to really get back into shape for this. And that was sort of one of the more intimidating things. But totally pulled it off. And I, I would actually argue, I think that you haven't seen as much Alias as I have. But you can really see the evolution of how confident she is in the action here. Uh, and how it's done so differently. Like, if I have one complaint about Alias... It's that I find as great as she is as an actress, 
as being believable. You never question her being able to beat up everybody in that show. But they did tend to, in the way the stunts were choreographed, choreograph it a little bit girlier, you know? Like, And it, it's just a common complaint I have with a lot of female uh, action stuff where it's a lot more flexible action. You know, she, she'll do the high kicks and the spin kicks. And, you know, it, it's just, it doesn't look quite as gritty and violent as you might have gotten in another TV show. But here in this movie, like, I mean, there's none of that at all. Like, I, it's I think. Basically, like the female John Wick. Yeah, like, you, I believe that's what I was, I was saying. Like, you could drop Denzel Washington in, into this exact same movie. Yeah. And tweak a couple things around as far as the story goes but you could just say this is the equalizer three you could drop keanu reeves in here put a lot more of an elaborate story on it and say this is john wick three you could put tom cruise in here or uh the 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 guy in the tv show now and just say this is jack reacher i mean yeah action wise if if she killed like three people with a pencil you'd believe it yeah and and she does stuff like that in this movie but (laughs) but yeah i i just i find her so much more confident in how she handles the action in this movie and in no way was I going into this movie opening night expecting that this would be the most brilliant thing in the world, you know? None of these movies are. I, I think with the exception of the first Jack Reacher, you could say the entire John Wick trilogy, and probably the first Equalizer movie, I don't think that any of these, like, you know, uh, middle-aged to geriatric action star movies are particularly brilliant. But they're just so fun and you get behind the heroes in a way you wouldn't get behind the young heroes because they're people that you are... Getting Jennifer Garner in this movie makes sense because these other franchises go off of uh, the goodwill of the stars they have in it. People know that they love Denzel Washington. Well, now imagine if Denzel Washington were killing somebody with a pencil, you know? So somebody's going to go see The Equalizer because they love Denzel Washington. They want to see him do this. That's what made Taken such a massive hit was that people were like, we love Liam Neeson, I, I'm kind of excited to see Liam Neeson punch a guy in the throat, you know? Uh, or Tom Cruise kick a guy in the gonads. You know? uh, and, and getting Jennifer Garner to do this, like, people were just excited. I want to see her do some of the stuff as well. But this movie fits in just as well with those other movies, you know, as as I think anybody else could have put off. Maybe second to Liam Neeson. Well, yeah, like you said, I mean, I think it, I think it just really... Um... It really shows uh, how well they made this movie, but also Jennifer Garner for how far she's come with her talent for action stuff. Because uh, you were mentioning, you know, all these things like, I, I, I don't know how to explain it, um, where it's when, when you're doing the action scenes and it's it doesn't look hardcore you know it looks like oh that that might beat up somebody who's like four years old but it's not going to beat up an adult if that makes sense right exactly uh but here in this movie she's come so far and i've watched some of her stuff from alias and honestly this is pretty much some of the best action she's actually done and i think also just being able to have a really dramatic character i mean on alias she she got to be pretty intense at times you know And, and she was very dramatic uh, but she was playing a younger woman. And I think that's the other thing, too, that I appreciate about all these movies yeah. is you, you have these actors. This this is almost the episode, I mean, wrapping up the appreciation for Jennifer Garner. This is almost the episode just to uh, appreciate on older action stars because one of the things they bring to it is they bring this maturity where it, it makes everything they do so much more unpredictable and satisfying. If you have a 25-year-old guy who is going to stab somebody with a pencil, you're like, well, that's some 25-year-old hothead. When you have Denzel Washington or Tom Cruise or Jennifer Garner do it, you're like, well, they have their head together. If they're yeah. doing it, they, they must really be pushed too far. It, it or, almost makes it more scary. Yeah, and, and I think <laughs> what also works in this movie, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of talk about, is that 
it's the composure that these older act, uh, older actors have. <laughs> uh, the composure that these o- orderless actors. Th- th- I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are some odors, but uh, <laughs> but uh, the composure these older actors have, where it's so much more satisfying to watch them beat somebody up and just not care. Like they could not care less. You know, yeah. uh, they exert themselves. They feel pain. But it's just different than you experience with a younger action star. And it's funny because when we go back to, let's say, the 90s, it almost became a criticism at the time that the only action stars were the older people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal. These are the action heroes. And I remember uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, it almost became like very critical we're like, when are we going to get some new younger action stars? And people at the time were being like, well, there's Mark Wahlberg. There's Ben Affleck, you know. Uh, but there's something that those guys bring to it more now that's than they did back just, then. That's what I was just going to say. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, like all of these action stars now, of the younger action stars from 20 years ago, you could put Jennifer Garner in that group. It's better to watch them now. Like, I think that most action movies should have... I, why are the Fast and Furious movies more? Why is Vin Diesel all around more popular now than he was when Fast and the Furious One came out? Because like, it, there's something more satisfying about somebody with experience doing this, where you know it's not just young hothead, you know? Yeah, like honestly, even for Ben Affleck, like with him being Batman, um, you know, I would not be able to picture him as Batman like 15 years ago. Yeah, and yet he was supposed to be Batman. But, like, but it, tw- it's 20 years that they ago. waited, though, because he was... And I'm not just saying this or whatever, because, you know, he had that, like, hot workout scene or whatever in the movie. That was that was very nice and made me appreciate him in a new in a new way. But... Jennifer Garner didn't. She kicked him out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but even, like, aside from all that and stuff like that, I don't think he would have really been able to capture you know, that dark, moody character who just can kick anybody's butt. Yeah. Uh, like 15 years ago. Yeah. I, I think there's just, you know, it's so funny. And it's it, it sounds like maybe an old person thing to say, I don't know. But I think that you take this story in a different direction when you have somebody that's just a little bit more seasoned. Yeah. And uh, let's look at the new, well, this becoming the Batman episode now too. But let's look at the new Batman. Uh, I think Robert Pattinson was amazing as Batman. I actually think that he was probably the most physically intimidating Batman. Everything he did, just the rage that he had, was so powerful. But yet at the same time, it's it's different than what you would get. Like, I'm not saying that I, I want one or the other, but I can't picture him pulling off the Ben Affleck Batman. I also can't picture Ben Affleck pulling off the Robert Pattinson Batman. Yeah, they, when they, you, they bring different things to the table. And, and I think that's an age thing as well. You know, when you have a young person, you expect there to be a little bit more rage and everything like that, uh, which, you know, we got a lot of that with Alias. I mean, there was a lot of attitude. One of my favorite things, one of the things that annoyed me about Alias when it was on the air, and I don't mean annoyed as in like, you know, oh, like, I hate this, but as a younger person, as somebody who was like, uh, what, 19, 20 years old when that show started, uh, watching Jennifer Garner constantly be critical of other people, especially her father on that show, you know, it's always like, oh, I can't believe you did. Like, it was like uh, you've ruined my life. That it was, it was at times almost like teenager, you ruined my life, you know. But now being older, being like forty now, watching that show, I realized like they were writing an immature character. She was so I would love to see her come back to Alias as well. But anyways, we should probably get into Peppermint here in a second. Huh. Uh, but did you know this was the guy who directed Taken? Uh, now I do. You just said it. So so I'm not saying that like this movie works because it's the guy that did Taken because he made two other attempts at this genre post Taken. Uh, 
Uh, Pierre Morel made a movie called From Paris with Love, which I remember being really excited about because it was John Travolta. So I'm like, the guy who did Taken is now doing a John Travolta version of Taken. I mean, it was a different story, but I watched that movie and it's probably the only one of the only John Travolta movies that I've never bothered to watch a second time. Like, it was oh, just really? boring. It was that bad. And he was playing a villain in it, which I love him as a villain, you know? Uh, and then the other movie was The Gunman with Sean Penn. And like I said, Sean Penn, when he was promoting The Gunman, w- was that guy that kind of coined the Jerry Action phrase, kind of created a genre inadvertently. And I remember being so excited about that. I'm like, Sean Penn is doing one of these movies now. Like, now, now this is going to be exciting. You got a two-time Academy Award winner doing a Liam Neeson-style action movie. And The Gunman was like the most boring thing I've ever seen. So what excites me about Peppermint is that we got a good director getting back to it. And also, prior to doing Taken, when he was still in France, he made a movie called District 13, which uh, was it's, different from District 9. I was just going to say, it's not District <laughs> yeah. 9. Because I was looking through his filmography, like, oh, he did District 13? I love that movie. I'm like, this is not the movie you're thinking of. Uh, District 13, though, is, uh, I think, one of the best action movies of the last 20 years. It's a French-made action movie. Uh, they made a sequel to a District B-13 Ultimatum, which was a- average. But uh, but yeah, he's made a couple good movies. But uh, anyways, it's the director of Taken. Uh, so um, one of the things I like about this movie is how the timeline kind of jumps around a little bit. When we open the movie, it opens up on a steamed-up car, uh, which we know what we're thinking is going on in that car, right? Sex. That's what Jamie was thinking, at least. I knew immediately Jennifer Garner was punching somebody in the face. Um, but that's kind of the fun reveal. You got this steamed up car. You hear this moaning on the inside. And then you cut to the inside and she just bashes the guy's face right into the window. Uh, nice little fight reveal on the, the inside of the car. Uh, and then she just shoots him and you just see the blood splatter. Now, the way that Pierre Morel in this movie chooses to not show violence, it, as I think a perfect example, the same way that people talk about horror movies, what you don't see on screen is scarier than what you do see, you know? Yeah, it just makes you wonder more how it happened. Yeah, and that's what I like about this movie. There, there's a couple of shots in particular I'll point out where I'm like, I, I never quite noticed that before. But, like, you go back and you rewatch and you're like, oh, well, like, there's more going on off screen than there is going on on screen. Uh, but uh, we get her limping after this fight scene um, towards uh, a van. We get the bunch of kids who are watching her as she enters her van, her legs bleeding. Uh, they've hung a stocking on her door. Um, I still don't quite know like the backstory of the stalking. Like, there's a couple things in this movie where I feel like you're not supposed to know the whole story. Yeah. This stalking, I want a little, little bit more about. Uh, but um, maybe they're hoping she'll put like oranges in it or something. It's it's well, we see what's in it. It's it's uh, girl guide cookies. But oh, like, that's right. Who put that there? Like, that's one thing I'm really confused about. Did the and, kids like, put do, it there? Do they want to bring back, like, all her bad memories? Well, uh, see... <laughs> yeah, give, her, give her, like, PTSD. But I think that's what happens. Like, I think everybody who dies from this point on is because these kids didn't realize they inadvertently set some PTSD off in Jennifer Garner's head. Like, <laughs> because I think these kids were just sort of like, let's offer a peace offering. Because the idea here is that she sort of is the protector of this this one area, this, this uh, homeless avenue of people uh, where all these tents are set up. Uh, but... Yeah, did the kids hang the stocking on there? Is this a message somebody's sending? I think that maybe that they hung this stocking as like a gift to her. They just got some Girl Guide cookies and they didn't realize the backstory. But that's sort of used as a device so that we can retell the story or whatever. Uh, But uh, I also like that she eats. I don't know what those things are called. Now, you can can educate me a little bit more on this because you you guys ate a lot more junk food growing up than I did. What? Uh, Probably not. Oh, Jamie... You tell me that you never didn't have donuts and cakes and everything in your fridge. We rarely had stuff like that. 
Yeah, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> actually, it was like the healthy stuff like strawberries where my mom's like, I bought this for me. Don't eat it. But there's donuts <laughs> on the last shelf. Okay. Well, well uh, what I actually was going to mention as well is that uh, you'll always be like, oh, do you remember? We talked about this in the 13 going on 30 episode. You're like, do you, do you remember Razzles? I'm like, no. <laughs> we never got stuff like that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, like these little – the things she eats when she's patching herself. She's basically stapling her leg and she's uh, – to sew her up or whatever. And then she eats this like brownie thing. It's like it's like a chocolate cake with, with icing on the inside. Do you have any idea what that is? Mm, some kind of snack cake? Snack. Let's call them snack cakes, okay? Yeah. Uh, I was thinking a brown Twinkie, but uh, I what mean you, it's, that's kind of what it is, right? When you remember like Joss Lewis – those type of things, you know what I'm talking about? Joss no, or Joe Joe Lewis? Joss. <laughs> you mean Joe Lewis? Is that what they're called? Uh, sure, I I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm Joe Lewis is a boxer. Uh, is that what you're talking I about? Thought it was, I thought they're called Joss Lewis. <laughs> is that a cupcake? What is it? Well, it's it's like a it's like a little uh, uh like yeah. See, it is Joss Lewis. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's 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 like a it's like a. A chocolate wagon wheel, right? No, no, no. It's different. It's okay. like a, it's like a chocolate covered cake with a little bit of uh, white icing in the middle. Just imagine if this movie would be called Joss Lewis. Hey, there you go. <laughs> That's a better title than Peppermint. No, it's not a better title. That's the point. Uh, but... but but out of all those, like you, you're celiac, so I mean you can't have them anymore. But ju- just to, so the fans listening to this, because I'm sure they want to know. <laughs> What, what when you could eat gluten what was your favorite out of all those things there's like the twinkies i i really i really like those little you know the chocolate cupcakes with the white squiggles on the top you know which ones i'm talking about no what i'm i like i'm trying to picture how many of those i might have had a twinkie a couple times wagon wheels was something i kind of remember so yeah. let's say that but what was a wagon? you'll have to remind me what a wagon i can't even well, picture it right now what it tastes like isn't there like a wafer type of thing in the middle of those? I found them kind of dry. No, I don't think that's the same thing. I loved those little wafer cookies, though. Like oh the, yeah. yeah, you know the the the, the wafer cookies that You're talking you, about the little rectangle ones. Yeah, and you yeah. can get them in like chocolate, vanilla, yeah, yeah. strawberry. Um, the, the those wafer cookies I discovered when I was a teenager. That if you put just a little bit of ice cream on top of those, it was amazing. Yeah, you know what else is really good, actually? Uh, we'll go back to the movie after this, but s- somebody gave me this tip, and it is life-changing. It's amazing. Is If you have vanilla ice cream, and you crush up, like, salted saltine crackers, and then you can add, like, a little bit of golden syrup or caramel or whatever, amazing. There's a book I saw. I saw uh, this on a talk show recently. There's a book that I have to reveal to you later that is... The entire thing is just snack foods that you don't think go together that when you taste it, you're like, wow, this is amazing. But you you, you hear it and you're like, that's disgusting. So we'll, we'll research that later. Like somebody said, like peanut butter and pickles. I've heard people do that. That's weird. Sure. Though. I don't know. I've never tried that, nor would I. <laughs> uh, but anyways, you know, back to the movie. Uh, she's eating one of these things as she's patching herself, applying first aid to herself, stapling her leg, which I could only think of was either she literally has nothing else to eat, but I was thinking she probably is about to pass out and she needs the sugar the to... Blood sugar, yeah. Yeah, so that's and, probably... And she's also very busy and has no time to mess around for anything. Yeah, well... She, she's, like, constantly watching these gang thugs and, you know... Gang thugs? Yeah, the thugs. <laughs> the, the thug life... Uh, she didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose her. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So they flash back to five years early because when he opens up the stocking, it's got the Girl Guide cookies, which again, how they got there, I don't know, other than just to tell the audience, this is going to involve Girl Guides. So five years earlier, she's she's now Mrs. Banker Mom, I guess, uh, helping her daughter sell Girl Guide cookies in a parking lot. And again, how this movie just drops you into scenes and doesn't feel the need to give you the setup where it's more effective. Like, you could have had this altercation with the soccer and said, no, this is my territory, you know? Instead, you just have her, they cut immediately into her and her daughter, get in the car, get in the car, you know? As, like, angry soccer mom here goes off at her. It's like, this is our area. This is where we sell cookies, which, okay, so I know I kind of have a habit of defending the bad guys in movies. Yes, you uh, do. <laughs> uh, I have a slight defense here. Now, this lady is snotty. She is very snotty. She is very rude. She's very condescending. But she actually does have a point, okay, <laughs> to this extent. she's She has a valid reason to be like, I have always sold her. We've been selling here all morning. You can't just come in as we're selling here. That If you're fundraising, if we fundraise with our kids, okay, if we're with Casper and Remy and Casey and they're selling Boy Guide cookies or Boy Scouts, is that the equivalent? They're selling Boy Scout cookies or whatever else they're selling – in some parking lot or on our street corner and some other mom shows up with their kids selling it 100 feet away you're probably gonna be a little upset too you know and and you'd have a reason to now granted jennifer garner is leaving right she she's she's leaving and everything so the the lady's uh, reaction to it um is it fair no but does she have a point that is like uh, it's not like she's snotty because she's telling them to leave she's snotty because how she's telling them to leave can we at least agree on that yeah that does make sense can we also agree on the fact though that there would be no movie and no story here if jennifer garner's husband actually didn't think about um getting into all this like mafia type of stuff (laughs) well we know there'd be no story but i'm gonna go even further and say if jennifer garner didn't skip work in the morning to take her daughter to sell girl guide cookies and step on the toes of the most angry girl guide mother there is and then have to go back to work and have to make up those hours later while arguing with her boss about making up those hours then we also wouldn't have a movie that's what i'm saying yeah but the bad guys even if they didn't go out that night you know that the bad guys totally would have killed at least him at some point right okay but let's let's cover a bit more of the story here to to, uh kind of touch on that so uh, she gets an altercation with the snotty um, girl guide mom who has half of a point at least. Uh, and uh, I love that the daughter basically said, you should have punched her in the face. That That's sort of like uh, a little bit of foreshadowing for what's going to come. And I love that you have the daughter saying you should have punched her in the face. And the funny thing is, is like, this is just how good Jennifer Garner is. The audience has already seen her smash a guy's head into a window, you know, from five years in the future or whatever. Uh, but... I still 100% believe this Jennifer Garner is not capable of doing that, you know? Yeah. And yet we've seen her do it. We've seen her do it in other movies. We've seen her do it in this movie two minutes earlier. And I just love her. She's, she's just so good at turning it on and off. Yeah, exactly. Like, just believe it. I, I, I kind of want to uh, get to the whole thing about who who's to blame for everybody dying in a second. But, but can we just stop for a second and appreciate how versatile Jennifer Garner is? She's never quite given, I think, as much credit as she deserves. Uh, she's appreciated, right? She's, you know, good in whatever she's in. She's never really gotten, like, Oscar consideration. I'm not saying that there's anything out there that, like, she should have gotten nominated for an Oscar for um, Arthur or The Invention of Lying, although maybe for The Invention of Lying. But, uh, 
But my point is, is that can you think of many other actors who can do so many different genres? She can do a straight drama like Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, she can do a really quirky comedy like um, the uh, Butter movie uh, or, you know, a really outright outrageous comedy like Arthur, The Invention of Lying, right? 13 going on 30. Then she could do, you know, an action story like Alias or Peppermint. Uh, she can do just a completely goofy kids movie like she does now with these movies. Like, yeah, I know you're not the biggest fan of the the the, the family films she's done. Like, well, Timothy Green. The, there's also that Yes Day movie, no. and then um, no, no, it was Yes Day, Jamie, not No Day. No, I'm saying No is, and I didn't really care for it. <laughs> yes, but it was Yes Day. Yes, sure. yes. Yeah, there you go. You agreed with me. Okay. That, uh, and then that new newer movie that she did though with uh, Mark Ruffalo, that one was pretty good. The Adam Project, no, yeah, wasn't. I liked it. Yeah, you liked it, but you also agreed with me that there were a lot of problems with it. Yeah, but I that's that movie though. I would at least watch again. The other ones I would not watch again. But but there's that um, the one that I liked was the uh, the the incredibly bad Alexander's incredibly bad, terrible, horrible, worst day ever, or something like that. Like, the weirdest title ever. Eh. eh, it was a good movie. But anyways, my, my point is is that she does these family movies and people continue to come back to see her and that she continues to be offered these movies and they do well for what that genre is. She does these romantic comedies, you know, like uh, the the Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, you know, 13 Go on 30, Arthur, whatever. And people continue to come to her for movies like that. She does action and people continue to come to her with things like Peppermint. You know, she does dramas. They come to her with stuff like Dallas Buyers Club. All these different genres that she delivers in and maybe she doesn't deliver the point where she's getting an Oscar or she's the most bankable romance. She's not necessarily, you know, bringing in the crowds that Sandra Bullock is bringing in with Channing Tatum and whatever that movie was called. Hey, I want to see that movie. I'm not knocking it, but I'm saying that can you think of another actor who checks the box in as many different genres as Jennifer Garner does as consistently as she does? She is consistently good in Every genre imaginable. I can't think of what horror. We haven't seen her in a horror movie, but other than that, is there anything that she doesn't do? Uh, well, I can th- think of one person, but it's not uh, a lady, but Keanu Reeves. <laughs> How did I know you'd find a way to bring up Keanu Reeves in this no, episode? No, but it's true, though. Think about all the things that he's actually done. No, but, but okay, but it's still completely different because. Keanu Reeves like, to this... He, he had, like, The Matrix. He had Sweet November. Like, he okay, he, I, he I, has a broad spectrum. No, any anybody who's been around as long as he has will have done all those genres. That's not the point I'm making. I'm saying no matter what, you know, is coming out this year, you can guarantee that within the next five years, Jennifer Gard is probably going to have a drama. She's probably going to have an ensemble quirky comedy. She's probably going to have a romantic comedy. She's probably going to have an action movie. She's probably going to have a family movie. Keanu Reeves has done romantic comedies you know or or even romance films like sweet november lake house whatever but can you tell me the last time keanu reeves had a romance film uh it's it's been a long time i don't know he he might be done with that now but, but that's my point is that she's not and no matter what year we're living in it seems like there will always be a jennifer garner movie coming out that's in one of those she's never stepped away from any of those genres and people keep coming back to see her and that that's the thing i'm, I'm kind of getting at you get what i'm saying yeah i get what you're saying like like even sandra bullock i mean you know yeah she does these you know romantic comedies and stuff like that um she does some dramas but like has sandra bullock ever done a family film and if she has is she still consistently delivering family movies that people are watching like this Yes Day that's already getting a sequel? You got to admit, though, she was amazing in Bird Box. 
that Netflix <laughs> movie. That was a great movie. Yeah, but we're talking about Jennifer Garner, though. <laughs> yeah, but that was a good movie. Okay, anyways, I think you get my point. Let's get back to the movie. So the, the line uh, that the, the daughter says here, which I normally we're going to hate kids in movies like this, but I like this kid with the, with the first line of dialogue I think she has is uh, saying, it's like, you should have punched her because she's a jerk. And Jennifer Garner's like, you can't go around punching people who are jerks, which kind of foreshadowing Jennifer Garner spending the rest of these movies punching people because they're jerks. Um, <clears throat> Not just punching them, but killing them. Yeah, I mean, stabbing them, shooting them, whatever. Um, she drops uh, their daughter off at the dad's uh, garage or wherever he works as a mechanic or something like that. She goes to work at a bank, uh, and her boss is leaving saying, like, oh, you're closing tonight. And she's like, no, no, but it's my daughter's birthday. Now, here again, I'm going to side with the boss a little bit. Like, did the boss ask her? No, but then he identifies, you're asking for extra hours, and I need you to do this. Everybody at one point or another is in a job where it's like, you know what? I need you to do this. Especially if you're in a position where that is part of your job. Closing is part of your job. Somebody's going to have to do it. And, you know, if she had had an excuse like it's my daughter's birthday, that's when you book the day off in advance. Like she clearly booked the morning off, let's say, or if she didn't, she missed the morning. So therefore the guy is saying, her boss is saying, you missed half a day, make up the extra hours. Like, Is there anything wrong with what the boss says to her here by saying, you need to work, I know it's your daughter's birthday, but you wanted extra hours, and on top of that, you owe me hours from this morning. Well, I think that you still have to make sure someone's available. I don't think that's 100% fair. But Kate, but she didn't say, I am unavailable. She says, oh, no, no, please, it's my daughter's birthday. Other people, whoever normally does this, clearly said, I am not available. It's like a first-come, first-served thing, you know? If if you're you're still working... And you simply say, you know what? I cannot work on this date. And three other people in your apartment say, I cannot work on this date. Somebody is going to be told, listen, you got to work because the other people asked first, right? Jennifer Garner did not ask for this evening off. She didn't ask to say, I can't close. That's the point, you know? Yeah, but she wasn't initially working that, so she wouldn't have to book it off going. But somebody has to close and she asked for extra hours and she missed half a day. Again, she could have said right here, no, absolutely not. But she valued her job and she valued those extra hours the boss was offering. I mean, I see, I see your point, but I still don't agree with you fully. Because you don't know the excuses of the other people. The fact is, she worked a half day here and he's saying, I just want you to stay an extra hour. You know, that's it. Well, I guess, but I still don't agree with you fully. Now let's look at the blame again, because we talked about who's to blame here. Uh, when Jennifer Garner does get home, she finds out that nobody showed up for her daughter's birthday party. Uh, there is a message on the machine uh, from the snotty uh, girl guide mom, leaving a snotty message, basically, hey, sorry about our run-in. Just so you know, I decided to invite everybody in the class to come and have a pool party with pizza you're welcome to to come and uh, bring your daughter along too. Now, obviously, this lady knows, oh, I'm going to spoil her birthday party, which nobody really is going to do something like this. But if they did, I mean, this has got to be the biggest plot hole of the movie. Can anybody just make a call and say, hey, we're having a pool party. Everybody come and drop all your plans. And literally every parent, not kid, every parent of every kid in the class is like, oh, I know you had that birthday party, but... Jeez, that pool party sounds like fun. That's sweet. Yeah, yeah, like the parents are the ones who call the shots. If this were simply all the kids said, no, I'm not going to. But th- these are like, what, eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, nine? Yeah, I don't know. But my point watching this, though, that I was telling you is I was like, okay, well, 
none of these people are really good friends then because if they're willing just to ditch her, you know, the drop of a dime, like... Well, okay, but but I'm looking at it from the point of view of if this is a well-written script. <laughs> and there are good things in the script I'm going to praise, but the fact that everybody on, what, four hours notice just drops this entire birthday party, completely unrealistic because when you get invited to a birthday party, as you're, you're, you're this girl's age, okay? Yeah. When you got invited to a birthday party... What would happen? What would be the the uh, the, the planning stage? Uh, well, I mean, you'd have to buy a present, so why would you back out if you have to buy a present? Right? And then, who is the one who's going to drop you off at that birthday party? The parents. And who's going to pick you up? The parents. So, you're this age. You get invited to a birthday party. Somebody else, four hours beforehand, says, you know what? Why don't you come to my pool party instead? You tell your mom, hey, can we not go to the birthday party? Somebody made a pool party. What is your mom going to tell you? Uh, no, I already bought the present. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting a refund on this present. Is it not to mention, what do I care if you get invited to a... I'm not going to the pool party, you know? And even if they are, like, the fact that every person well, in this maybe, class drops it... Maybe they were like, come and you can stay and have margaritas or something. Still, it's... it's it is definitely a stretch to say everybody dropped it. But is this now the theme of this month? Is birthday parties we had the 13 go on 30 nobody shows up to the birthday party right we also had the birthday party in um the odd life of timothy green the only one we didn't have a birthday party on was draft day can we just claim that it was uh dennis leary's birthday or something well i mean it wasn't anybody's birthday but technically there was like a birth announcement with like a baby announcement <laughs> pretty much the same thing as a birthday party yeah sure. uh, <laughs> anyways so the daughter's disappointed now again i will give some credit to this kid and normally we're not giving credit to kids in in any type of movie. You hate kids in movies. I mean, we all hate kids in movies, right? Like, I don't. Okay, you were the one complaining about Timothy Green, how much you hated yeah, everybody. because he was awful, but I usually do like kids in movies. Okay, well, you also watched those clips from the original kids in 13 Go On 30. You didn't like them, did you? Well, they were just bad actors. No wonder why they changed them out. And my point is, is that in most movies, the kids are bad actors. But the the way that this girl responds, it's not like she's sulking, like, nobody came to our birthday party, you know? She's just like, hey, nobody came. Like, she's just ticked off more than anything. She's like, jerks? Let's go punch those jerks in the face. Yeah. I wonder where she gets that attitude from. Or, or where did Jennifer Garner get that attitude from? Uh, but uh, Jennifer Garner, mom, wants to make this up. Uh, so she says, oh, guess what? We're going to have the best night out ever. We're going to have pizza, and we're going to go to the carnival. And this is like days before Christmas, so it's like a winter carnival. Uh, and then we're going to get ice cream. And uh, how, how much fun does that sound like? She's like, yeah, I just wanted the girl to go, I want to go to the pool party. You know, <laughs> we don't get that, though. Uh, but we should also mention the dad when he uh, she was dropped off at the dad's work. Uh, he was talking to his coworker who was – they're very elusive. They're, they're, they're not – saying directly what this is, but you get the implication something illegal is going down and he wants him to just drive. We find out later on that this was to rob a drug dealer. So as they're leaving the birthday party nobody showed up to, uh, that all the parents just decided they were going to pocket the presents for, I guess. But uh, they, um, uh, he gives the, his friend a call and says, hey, I'm out. Like, this is the Back to the Future 2 thing. It's like, no means no, Griff, I'm out. Oh, you know what it, it ra- randomly just came into my head when you're talking about how this is just before Christmas? What those parents probably did is they probably just uh, were like, oh, oh, well, I'll just give this my own kid another present. And it's random, whatever it is. It doesn't yeah. matter if they like it or not. Yeah. Well, but, but also, like they said, the entire class was invited too. So, I mean, if you're buying presents for a nine year old girl, I'm going to assume that those parents of the boys who are invited to this party probably aren't giving it to their their boy. If, if they got you know some type of toy that a boy's not gonna like, 
Well, I mean, it depends. It's a nice theory, but I don't think it, again, realistically holds up for 100% of the kids who didn't show up. Yeah, well, I guess. But it depends because, like, for me, I mean, when I was that age, the thing that I wanted most was, like, Game Boy and Pokemon games. And those could be boys or girls. Yeah, but I'm, again, we're saying, are we willing to believe that 100% of the presents that were bought were completely uh, accessible for anybody and none of them were presents where, oh, this one girl would like it, but you, little Johnny, I'm sure you're going to like the, the Barbie. Well, I guess Walmart had a lot of returns the next week. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, another thing we should uh, mention with this, it, it, just to go along with the, the birthday party being unrealistic, we're also led to believe that uh, Jennifer Garner and her husband do not make a lot of money. So they are taking their kid to a school where most of the parents are pretty rich. Uh, therefore, their parents, maybe they don't care about the fact that they spent $50 on a birthday present. Uh, we could also just say nobody was planning to come in the first place, but I don't think that's realistic. But anyways, so the dad's out of this deal, but there's already somebody spying on him. And uh, they, they place a call to like, we found the other one, <laughs> which uh, I love. Now, uh, of course, this is going to be our big debate about the movie. Like, is it the dad's fault that this happens? I'm going to say no. Um, it's Come on. well, but here, here's the thing. He never said yes, he would do this. He had somebody approach him. Now, if if you have a friend who approaches you and says, "How would you like to make ten thousand dollars just to drive a car?" You know, unless you say no and get out of my office right now and never come back. That sounds so sketchy, though. Like anybody with a brain would be like, "Well," what's and he, the catch? but he was like that when we saw him early in the movie. He was like that. He was very hesitant. So the fact is. I'm not going to say that it's his fault because somebody propositioned him. He was hesitant. He said no. And what we're going to find out later on is they basically say, listen, these guys were willing to kill you just for thinking about it, you know? Because yeah. uh, we then cut to his friend who's getting his head chopped off with machete or something like that. Uh, but then we have the carnival scene. Um, we have them riding on all the, the fun rides and eating their pizza. And, and going to order their ice cream where we get the title of the film, uh, what flavor do you want? Peppermint double scoop. I mean, could you imagine if this movie was called Peppermint Double Scoop? Now, do you remember what the parents ordered? Because I love food all the time. So I know you you probably noted it in your head at least. I did. Do you what was it? What Rocky Road. Okay. To Rocky Road. All right. And you're imagining it right now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's ice cream. I love ice cream. Whenever somebody orders something, uh, something to know about Jamie, if people are listening, whenever somebody orders something, food. You have to know what it is. No, you don't only have to know what it is. You ask to smell it. Yeah. If we're at a restaurant and four people order four dishes, you're, you're number four, you will ask the other three people, can I no, smell your food? No, only you, only you, and that's only when I'm actually, like, dieting. I have seen you ask other people to sniff their food. Okay, it's only, like, if I'm, like, really close to people, though. If it's just somebody that I'm not around all the time, I wouldn't do that. I do have some concept of my weirdness. <laughs> some concept. Yeah, some concept. But, like, if if I'm doing, like, keto and I'm not having any chips or anything like that, I'll I'll just open your bag of chips and I'll put my, my whole snout right in there and I'll be... Snout? <laughs> ah! Like, like... It's Refreshing. Like, like it's like drugs or something. You're snorting coke. Well, uh, ex- except chip crumbs. <laughs> snorting chip crumbs. Uh, <laughs> all right, so now we're going to get to whose fault this ultimately is. And I hate, I hate to say this, Jennifer Garner, because we dedicated a month to you, but... Um, I'm not going to say this is her fault, but how about this? Nothing else that happens after this movie would have happened if Jennifer Gardner didn't go back for napkins. Now, because she is a clean mother, <laughs> she didn't either die with her child or protect her child. 
Uh, I'm putting the blame on her. Now, if you were a mother and you saw that, would you respond quickly enough to throw your kid in the ground, cover them? There's a chance that kid could live, but she had to get the napkins. You couldn't just let your kid be a messy kid with ice cream all over. You got to get the napkins. I mean, if she's but a good I mean, mother. But I mean, you could have asked for them in the first place so you didn't have to go back. <laughs> Again, we're being very judgmental but, but here. Actually, though, the ice cream place should have just given it to you because who the heck gets three ice creams and no napkins, especially with a child? Well, there you go. It's the ice cream place's fault. It's everybody's fault well, no, except for we, the drug dealers. We we went over this already. If they didn't shoot him there, they would have shot him later doing whatever else, it, wherever it, else. Well, him, but they wouldn't have shot the little girl and his wife. They were collateral damage. Yeah, but if if he didn't even consider the whole scenario, though, he he wouldn't even be in that position. Maybe. I mean, these guys didn't know what he considered or not. They simply knew that he had been asked. I mean, he could have very well said, no, get out of my office and never come back, but he didn't. Uh, But ultimately, I'm just saying this. Events would have been very different if she was a realistic mother who, what do we have in our vehicle? If, If you ever forget napkins, what do you have in your vehicle? Baby wipes. Baby wipes, okay? I don't care how old the girl is. But we will have baby wipes until our kids are moved out. No. Oh, yes. No, they're they're too much money. I'm not <laughs> I'm not buying them for that many years. Forget that. I mean, these people have one child, and like you said, she's probably seven or eight years old. I wouldn't have baby wipes anymore if it was at that point. Now, I want to pinpoint how well shot certain parts of this movie are with the action. Um, it's very difficult to film a scene like this. It's going to be dark. It's going to be... You know, quite depressing to see a little girl and an innocent husband get gunned down, yeah. especially with Jennifer Garner at this point being the innocent wife who is not violent in any way and, and in no way brought this on. Yeah. It's difficult to watch. But the way they shot this is fantastic because it's done not just in slow motion, it's done in super slow motion. So you're all dwelling on Jennifer Garner's reaction as she's seeing what's happening and the, 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 the dad and everything. But the other part of this is that there's no sound. They could have made this like explosion of gunfire. They could have the what other movies would have done. They would have the really sappy music playing here, like sad music or dramatic music. But instead, we just have like very, very quiet, muffled sounds. You just hear. You don't, you don't really see much. Yeah, you see that the guns firing. You yeah. see them diving, and but it's that muffled noise where it's just like a, like very quiet gunfire in the super slow motion that makes this scene different from what I think you'd see in other movies. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing that comes to my mind uh, for any type of scene where a child is shot is um, uh, face-off with the little boy. Yeah. And, you know, with that, you you see the hurt later on where John Travolta is taking his hands and he's just, you know, putting them uh, down the little boy's face and yeah. he's pretending that that's his son. You pointed out something interesting when we were watching the movie here. And that's that uh, even though Jennifer Garner does get shot herself, uh, I mean, she's she's the only one who doesn't die, but she gets shot. She doesn't drop the ice cream cone yeah. until she hits the ground. Yeah. Now that's your type of woman. That's that's me. That's you. <laughs> there you go. Um, you, just a, like a little story. It wasn't anything where anybody was like going to die or anything. But when I still lived with my parents, my parents had ordered pizza and... Um, what my mom always did growing up was they would store it in the um, the oven. We never put it in the fridge ever, like takeout pizza. We never did. I mean, we never got sick. It's just what we did. But anyway, so I, I 
we had ordered pizza the night before and I was going to cook something in the oven and I didn't realize that the pizza was still in there and it actually got to the point where it caught fire and it was the middle of winter and so my mom, <laughs> she's like rushing to take this flaming pizza box out of our house and the whole kitchen's full of smoke and uh, the only thing that I can think about once this is all over is I told mom, I'm like, do you think I can still eat that pizza? <laughs> I mean, anybody who actually knows me is like, yeah, that's Jamie. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, now, after the scene's over, they, I guess it's technically a month later is when she gets up out of the coma. We immediately cut to a month later where she's waking up out of the coma. And we have, um, the, I guess, the main cop of this movie. Now, we're going to spoil it now. Uh, if people haven't seen this movie, they forget. You know, uh, skip it if you want. But uh, go back and watch the movie first. I mean, that makes more sense if you're listening to Recap. But... This movie pulls a little bit of a swerve with the cops. You have two cops in the movie. You have the one that you think is the good cop, and then the one that you think you is dirty. Technically, have three cops because there's the two. Well, there's guys. the FBI agent, yeah. which is not a cop, but well, I, well, I know whatever. what you mean. Yeah, but the two the two partners in this who are with the case from the beginning. Yeah. You think this guy now the younger guy Carmichael? Um, he was in Ten Cloverfield Lane. He played Emmett, the the kind of dumb guy in Ten Cloverfield Lane. Do you remember that at all? Nope. All right, she's yawning. <laughs> Good memories of 10 Cloverfield Lane, apparently. That's what happens when you have three children. You're tired by 8 p.m. It's, you're t- it's, it's like being an old lady. You're, ti- you're tired at 8 a.m. You're tired at 10 a.m., noon, 2 p.m., 4 p.m. You're tired around the clock. Yeah, I don't know how you're still alive with uh, not drinking coffee. Because I need coffee, like, all day. And sleeping, like, three hours less than you, too. Yeah. You pretty much should be dead. I should be dead, yes. Uh, in fact, I think Martina brought that up uh, last year when we recorded. But anyways, uh, so she's waking up a month later. Now, the, the cop who's supposed to be the nice cop, Carmichael, that's the one we're introduced to. I'll kind of uh, dissect why this uh, swerve on the audience is pulled off so well. Part of it is that you are so sympathetic towards this cop here. He is so sympathetic to her. You could tell from the beginning he really cares about this case and catching these guys. Uh, even though the doctor is basically saying, you know, she shouldn't be talking right now. She just woke up. He's like, okay, I just need a minute. And he's again, very sympathetic. He's saying, we have three suspects in custody. We're going to have to let, you've been out for a month. We're going to have to let them go tomorrow unless you could identify them. And then he basically said, well, no, she really shouldn't talk. I love this doctor is like immediately like, no, 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 get out. I don't care that her family was gunned down and the killers are going loose. Like, I want Jennifer Garner to get up and punch this jerk in the face. Like, who, who, what, what business does she have saying, no, you can't question this woman? It's been a month, seriously. Yeah, well, I mean, has it really been a month for her, though? She's been in a coma. Well, I know for her, but you know she's awake. You know you have 24 hours to go. This is a very important case. Just do the you, doctor, you, we don't have time for this. Do you think, though, too, that you also uh, think that perhaps maybe that... Uh, other guy who is like the Hispanic cop that he has um, some type of tie-in uh, because it seems like the the gang is like a Hispanic gang. N- well, do I you, think. Do you think maybe that was intentional? I think they wanted the audience to believe that. Yeah, yeah. I I I don't think he has any. Con- I don't think there's any point in the movie where they want you to believe he has a connection to this. Well, no, but I I think I'm saying that just because it seems like everybody else that's connected mm-hmm. to the movie that you see, like they're, you know, like, Hey, essay type of thing. Like, you know, they're like Mexican gangster. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm probably not saying it the right way, but you know what I'm trying no, to say. I know what you mean. Like, again, this, we'll talk about like, that a little bit too. Latino gangster. Is that yeah. better? I sure. Don't know. I don't um, know. <laughs> I'm not daring enough to offend anybody, <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Like, some of the criticisms movies got that I think is is maybe unwarranted, but but yeah, you have two cops. You have one which you assume 
even if it's just you know if it's if if it's just through uh, uh what's the word I'm thinking about um uh where you assume something just because uh pre- like prejudicial opinion what am I, what am I thinking about prejudice well sure let's just say prejudice either either through prejudice or whatever you are being led to believe Cause, this guy because he's like you you think oh well he might be part of that circle because it yeah. se- seems like. He's familiar with the the the, but the, the there people, is, the, with, familiar with the language. Yeah, but but again, there's way more to it. It's not just that simple. And I think yeah. some of the best stuff about this movie uh, comes later on. It's it's how they get even deeper in that without making it obvious. But, but the, the, that the good cop. swerve in the movie, though, that was one of the best parts of the whole movie. But the good cop here, Carmichael, at least at this point, the good cop, um, I believe he is still the good cop at this point. I mean, again, the movie doesn't reveal everything, but I think it's clear... He is the good cop still here at this point. We come back later on. That's when things happen. But uh, he does have a dramatic moment where he throws the pictures they took at the carnival, the bloody picture on her. Now, that's still pretty fresh fresh blood for a month later. And I love that when we come back five years later, the blood is still just as fresh. <laughs> Maybe not some of this most realistic thing in the world. But he is also the only point here where we identify what the husband was mixed up in, where he says they were thinking about robbing a drug dealer. And she says, no, my husband would never do that. And he goes, yeah, you're right. He wouldn't do that. But just because he thought about it, just because he was asked, they're like, we're killing this guy. Now, these are the type of people we need to get off the street. So she agrees to go in and do the whole usual suspects lineup thing. She picks the three guys out because she you know, has flashes, remembers what they look like, um, how convenient they all had, very distinctive facial tattoos so that anybody would be able to identify them ever. Uh, uh, I think you probably want to send people who are maybe wearing masks or something. But I think that it's also the point in the movie that like th- this gang leader or whatever, he he doesn't care. He's like, I own everybody. So yeah, I won't criticize that too much. But uh, but yeah, she identifies them. Um, now, uh, before we go to the trial part, we have the, the other cop here. Um, now, I can't remember his name or I don't even know if it's identified, but the older cop. Uh, yeah. He is basically trying to warn Carmichael and saying, listen, I just want you to think about this before you get too too deep into taking down this Garcia character and his yeah. gang. He presents a, a badge that has a bullet hole in it and says, this was the last guy I tried to go after him. Like, basically, be careful. Now, this is, again, one of the reasons why you would suspect, at least later on in the movie, yeah. he might be the dirty cop. It's, it's almost like, hey, you know, giving you a warning back off type right. of thing. But they don't make it so obvious. Again, yeah. most movies would make this make him so like mustache twirling and they don't do that with him at all. Yeah. It's almost just like just a concerned friend. But then the more he brings it up, you start to think you're outsmarting the movie. And I think that's where I appreciate this compared to a lot of just generic action movies is that they really present this in a way where they, they want the audience to think they're, they're thinking ahead of the story yeah. when in actuality they're, they're, they're kind of tricking, you know, uh, before the, uh, the trial stuff starts, um, they have a lawyer who comes to visit Jennifer Garner. She's packing up her, her daughter's room. Uh, he gives this nice sympathetic speech, which again, another surprise to the audience. You think this is a nice guy. I'm very sorry for your loss. You know, if there's anything I could do. And then he, he basically presents her with an envelope full of cash. Uh, try to say, if you know what's good for you. Again, he's still sympathetic. Like you realize that the Garcia and he, they're, they're, they're trying to buy her off for good reason. Like she could put us away. Uh, let's just handle this nicely. Uh, and he's like, I really think you should take the money. And then when she makes it clear she's not, he's like, interesting. Are those antipsychotic pills you have there out in the open? <laughs> yeah, but you know what I was going to actually say about the whole thing that they were talking about with the pills? When it's, you know, time for the courtroom and everything and the lawyer tries to use it against her and she says, I didn't even take the pills. You know, the, the thing is, those type of things can be measured with a blood test too. Okay, yeah, but again, we're going to get to the movie where they do things subtly where they don't have to spell it out for the audience 
that explains why. So basically getting to the next scene, she kicks this guy out. So you realize the lawyer probably of Garcia is you know supposed to be uh, buying her off. And then as the audience, you're immediately suspecting the next scene, this same lawyer is the one who's questioning her on the stand. Now you think she would simply point out, hey, that guy there, he threatened me. She doesn't, or maybe she didn't, it doesn't matter. Because uh, during the questioning, he starts to bring things up like, is it true you're on antipsychotics? She, she did mention that. She said, you know, he came to my house and offered me money. But she says that later. I'm saying, yeah. I would immediately, as soon as this guy walks in the courtroom, yeah. I would say, wait a second, I know you. You tried to bribe me. Yeah. Mistrial right there, true, you know? True. But, uh, but, but they could have just removed her. But anyways, uh, so the whole point of this is that he brings up these very minor things. Is it true you're on antipsychotics? Is it at all possible that you didn't see them? And then she starts getting very agitated. This is where she starts blowing up. And you have the judge immediately turn around and say, I will hold you in contempt. She turns to the district attorney asking for help. You do something about this. And the district attorney just looks down at his paper. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute, okay? Um, basically, nobody has her back. She's tased <laughs> and hauled away in an ambulance. Uh, when they're hauling away in the ambulance, they basically say, what, what are you doing? Uh, Carmichael's here. It's like, she was banging her head into the bars. We're going to take her to psych lockup. And he's like, oh, you don't want to put her in there. That's dangerous. And uh, she stages escape by hitting Carmichael, the one guy looking to help her, in the head with an oxygen tank. Uh, the next time we find her, we, we see uh, her handprint and blood on the gravestone. And then it flashes forward five years. So now we're, we're almost caught up with where the movie started. Uh, Carmichael is now a complete drunk on the job. Uh, and I love the, the interaction between him and his partner here, the guy who they're very subtly leading you to believe might be the one in on it, where uh, he's saying, don't you look especially pretty this morning? And then Carmichael's like, you know, I've always been a firm believer in beauty sleep. Meanwhile, he's like pouring everything into his coffee cup. And the other guy immediately knows and throws away. But you could tell he is broken now five years later. Yeah, like he's pretty much an alcoholic at that point. Yeah, and it, the audience is being led to believe that he tried to fix this situation. It didn't work out. And now he's just, he's lost his faith. But again, you're not thinking he's a dirty cop at this point. If anything, you're thinking, well, there's no way he's a dirty cop because why would they bother paying off a guy who's a drunk and, you know, can't do his job anyways, you know? That's a good point, yeah. Um, They, they basically find three bodies hanging from a Ferris wheel, like execution hanging from a Ferris wheel. And uh, these turn out to be the three drug dealers. Now, another thing I think that was kind of pleasantly surprising about this movie is that they didn't build up where it's like she's going to get the guys who pulled the trigger. She starts by getting the guys that pulled the trigger. Like these three guys that are hanging were the three guys in the car that killed her husband and uh, uh, her, her daughter. Um, we, uh, we have her, uh, I guess, picked up. This is where the FBI agent comes in where they're saying, hey, we picked up somebody that we lost five years ago and they're showing, you know, Jennifer Garner, Riley North on their facial scan. They talk about how she um, had stole, uh, what was it, like uh, weapons from um, some type of gun store. Yeah. But she went for straight, like the military grade weapons. Yeah, like uh, she, she knew what she was looking for. Yeah. And um, while they're giving all the backstory of what happened, they're showing that she was doing cage fighting in Europe or something like that, like over these five years. And they even have a, a reference here in saying something about uh, uh, what do the feds care about some squirrely soccer mom? And they're like, you think this is a squirrely? She's not a squirrely soccer mom no more. And they keep intercutting with this, talking about how she robbed a bank. Well, why did she rob a bank? You know, obviously to fund five years of preparing to kill her, her family's killers. Uh, you have her at the judge's house. Now, when you were saying, well, you know, why did the judge not do this? Why did the other people not do this? That's because the judge is the first one that she executes here. 
she puts the nail. I love that they have the reveal again. The violence that happens off screen here. You have her tying this judge up, and then in front of him is a hammer and some very long nails, <laughs> like like construction style nail nails, like a foot long. And uh, the next time you see him without seeing her do it, his hands are nailed to the table. So I think they avoided going overly graphic violent with this and focusing more on the story. And it's almost more effective to to wonder what she did off camera, you know. Yeah. But um, the judge. She basically kills here because she has this explosive rope or whatever. And she says, you know, uh, I'm going to blow up your house with you in it or whatever it is. And um, uh, the, uh, the the moment she walks away, she like hops on a bus or something like that. Uh, after asking, of course, she always asking, do you remember my name? Tell me my name and you'll live. You'll be eating out of tube, but you'll live. But I just love that line. You'll, you'll be eating out of tube, but you'll live. Uh, so um, they... Uh, during when the cutting back and forth with the FBI, they basically say, guess what? Today is the five-year anniversary of when her husband and daughter died. Uh, and then we have the the detonation when she's on the bus and the uh, judge's house explodes. The next thing you do, again, more stuff that happens off camera here, kind of going back to what you were talking about. They say, hey, the judge died. And guess what? We found the bodies of the district attorney and the Garcia's lawyer. So she's already killed the district attorney, the guy that their whole reason why when she started objecting in court, they didn't say, let's throw this out. Why the judge didn't go along with it when it's like, you know, oh, but why don't we take a blood test? You know, all those things you were saying yeah. because they're in on it. Yeah. Garcia just paid them all off. It was easier for him. This is why they had that moment with a lawyer going to her sympathetically saying, you know, hey, let's offer you this money and you can walk away. Better to pay off one person because in the end he had to pay off three. He had to pay off his lawyer. He had to pay off the judge and the district attorney, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Whereas all, you, all the people in on it. Yeah, and, and that's three times the amount he probably offered to pay her. Uh, we also uh, find out here that, um, that there's a shipment that's missing. So she's messing with more stuff that happens off camera, which usually in a movie like this, I'd be like, I kind of want to see that. I think it's better that a lot of this stuff happens off camera. And there's a reason why, because this movie is more about this woman as a legend. You know, like she's this mythical figure. So a lot of the, the worst stuff she does or a lot of her planning, the audience doesn't know what's going on. They sort of find it out as the story progresses through other characters saying things like, there's one of our shipments was missing. The drug dealers were saying this. Also, you notice in the drug dealer's factory, right when they order a hit on her life, did, did you notice that uh, all the people who are you know, packing the drugs or doing whatever were in their underwear? Yeah, so they can't steal. Yeah, okay, I was going to ask if you, you knew why. I remember why they that from, uh, what, what's that movie? Um... Uh, American Gangster. Oh, do they have that American Gangster? I don't yeah, remember that. Yeah, where they're packing. I don't know. I, I can't remember. I think it's Coke that they're doing, but every, mm-hmm. everybody's just like they're in a, I think, just bra and panties, or they might not have even had a bra on, like just panties. That's you in a potato chip factory. They're like the potato chip crumbs. Jamie's going to be snorting them and sneaking them into her, her pockets. Uh, you know, I had a dream before one time that was like the best dream I've ever had. Do you remember, uh, do you remember DuckTales with the, the oh, rich yeah. uncle and how he jumps off of like that, that boogie board or whatever? Into the pile of money, yeah. Yeah. And so I had a dream that was just like that, but it was like all the, t- my favorite junk food I could all- <laughs> always eat. Would you just squish it? Like, it, would it be edible? I mean, I didn't matter. I was like swimming it, swimming <laughs> it all. I'm not eating it all, like like Homer Simpson when he's eating the chips in space. Yeah, <laughs> da, 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 yeah, that, that was totally da, da. me and my little swimming pool of uh, of treats. It was the best dream ever. Now, next, I think we get one of the best scenes of the movie, and part of it is because it has nothing to do with the story, but it also again is setting up her character, kind of this legendary character in 
the the neighborhood, people who who have witnessed her. She's on the bus. This is right after blowing up the judge's house. And there's a kid on the bus who's just kind of like not checking her out. I don't mean like that. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure he was. but He, he just noticed her. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? But uh, th- yeah, this kid on the bus is just like, hi, how's it going? And then he's asking. She has this toy she had stolen, this reindeer toy that she stole from the judge's house. And he's like, whose is that? She, she gives it to him. This is yours. And the kid sort of gives a sob story. This is my dad. He's a drunk. You know, I have to take care of him or whatever. Uh, the dad gets off the bus, starts kind of yelling at the kid. Uh, he's not smacking him around or anything, but he's clearly like, you know, yelling at the kids like, where'd you get that stupid toy? You know, stop talking to strangers. Uh, the next time we see him, he's in the, the liquor mart and he's going for some type of bottle in the back. And then Jennifer Garner smashes his face into the glass. That's her trademark move in these movies is smashing somebody's face into the glass, which is great. And I just love how cool she is in this scene. Like, I just mean like calm and nonchalant, you know? Uh, where she says, I-, I need you to open your mouth. And he goes, this is a life-altering moment for you. <laughs> are you listening to me? Uh, and uh, she basically says, y- y- you are going to get your act together. You're going to take your son out. You're going to go Christmas shopping with him and make this the-, the best day of his life. And if I ever see you in here again, I know where you live. She takes his wallet and basically threatens to kill him. Yeah. Then... She does the same thing to the clerk. She's, she's like, you know, uh, saying, you don't want me back in here again. By the way, I'm going to rent your car for the day. And yeah, well, she, she was saying if you ever sell him anything again. Yeah, I will blow up this store. Yeah. And this is going to be important later on, again, for off-camera stuff that uh, that really enhances this movie. Uh, but um, now she has a car. Uh, and the next time we see her, she's disguised as like a – there's a lady pushing a shopping cart, like a homeless lady pushing a shopping cart. She's trying to get into one of their factories or whatever. Uh, she disguised herself as this shopping cart lady, and she attacks the doorman. And this is one of the first things that I think uh, makes this movie as far as like building her as like this legendary character is that the newscast footage in this movie, you notice how any time it's showing the news, it's pretty much always just something on in the background. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss half of the story that the newscasters tell. Yeah, it just goes from one thing to another. Yeah, because they're basically, she's there sneaking around. And in the background, she passes by a TV and they're like, you know, uh, there there is rumors that a woman, uh, uh, you know, who's been missing for five years, Riley North, attacked this or whatever, and that she's behind this, considered to be armed and extremely dangerous. We're going to keep coming back to the newscast, but it's always on the background, which I love. We get this shootout here in the factory, and this is one of my favorite, like, you don't have to go full violent, violent shots in the movie. She's ducking down beneath some, like, um, shelves or something like that. And like, so that nobody would see her and the guy who walks past, she just starts opening fire on the guy's legs or feet or whatever. Right now, did you catch that? Obviously this guy hits the ground about 10, 15 seconds later, or maybe it's even late. Maybe it's like a minute later. She walks past this guy. And did you notice that his bloody shoe is halfway across the room? No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, like, again, you see her opening fire. You don't need to see her blow this guy's foot off, but she literally blew the man's foot off his body and it was dismembered from him. I, I don't even remember that at all. Yeah, well, again, it's a small thing you notice in the background. Uh, so she finds the, the guy, I guess, who's running this factory. And I love, again, just how nonchalant she is. She's like, you're not busy, are you? <laughs> I have a couple of questions. Uh, she ends up leaving this guy alive so that he can go and tell Garcia uh, what she did. Now, stuff that happens off camera again here, you don't have to see her burning this guy's money. You just see this this guy, uh, this minion or whatever, saying, oh, she left me alive, but uh, uh, she didn't take any of the money. And they're like, oh, she didn't take the money. And they're like, no, she just burned it all. Yeah, she she didn't care. It was just like uh, 
um, for that uh, Batman movie where the Joker just burns the money. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't care. Yeah, like they're they're building her into this like such an unpredictable character. Like, what do you do with her? Uh, There's more background news stuff that's going on here. They actually talk about how all the witnesses say that they saw nothing, you know? So you're already getting just through these background newscasts that like, for whatever reason, people who see her are not turning her in. Like, and we're going to find out later on it's because everybody ends up kind of rooting for her and getting behind her. Um, We have the suspicious cop, the older cop here, uh, who's giving another warning to Carmichael, like, you know, you, you need to you need to back off of this, that don't get back uh, on this rabbit trail of uh, trying to go after Garcia and all that. Um, <clears throat> you have uh, the, the the guy who, who of course, Jennifer Garner left alive, gets killed off camera again. Uh, you just see his body. Uh, and then we get to the FBI and the two cops uh, when they're talking to the techie guy who's trying to analyze, you know, we're trying to find patterns or whatever where... This could be happening. Could you show us if there are certain patterns where crime has spiked? They're thinking at this point, we're trying to find Riley North. Yeah. Let's find where more crimes are being reported. Because she is a vigilante. So whether she is robbing a bank, stealing a car, threatening to blow up a liquor store, assaulting a drunken man, uh, killing a judge, these are all crimes will be reported. So we want to see where there's spikes in crime. So this guy has this map of the entire city and it's showing every crime that's reported. And he's like, there's nothing unusual here. But then they, they start to, pinpoint they're like wait a second there's this whole section here where nothing is being reported how could that be and they're even saying like this is this is the type of area that like crime was high here before now there's a lot of intercutting back and forth here but i just want to kind of stop on this for a second the the whole no crimes being reported because when we see her go back to her van um again she's sort of treated not like a god but like people are like don't go near her but that's her and and we find out later on like she doesn't even lock her van she stores everything in there in the middle of this area where it's like, you know, don't leave anything unattended. They even say that later on when the FBI agent shows up. Yeah. And not only is everybody sort of treating her with respect, but now we realize there's no crimes being reported because they're all afraid of her, which again is a little thing. That all stuff that happens off camera that builds her as like this mythical character. Yeah. Well, and they have the the painting that they show on the brick the wall mural. there. Yeah, of her, you know... Uh, the angel of death pose. And you can't really see her face or anything like that because she has her hood up and it's kind of shadowed, but she has the wings and everything, and that's what I was talking about, like, you know, when they're, they keep saying we have an angel. Angel of death would have been a great name for this movie. Yeah, exactly. Which, as I said, everybody who finished this movie thought, why didn't they call it angel of death? Um, so she does steal a guy's car here. Uh, so that she could now go to uh, a warehouse or does a warehouse ha- yeah the warehouse happens first so now she's off to their warehouse so you think this is going to be the big climax of the movie although it's still too early for it to happen yeah. uh, and the warehouse is empty she can see wire. she ends up getting out of there and avoiding you know being blown up but they basically set a trap for her uh, the, the goons who ran this are calling Garcia and they're like, she's got to be dead. That whole place is, uh, you know, it's, it's burning. It's exploded. She's, def- she's definitely dead, you know? And meanwhile, we cut to her stealing a guy's car and uh, then drinking his big gulp. The way that you said that, it just reminds me of that quote that you always say, I definitely have breast cancer. Yeah, the room. I definitely have breast cancer. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have another news report uh, of uh, the car being stolen here. Uh, and... I love that as these guys are like, we totally got her, boss. Then they'll cut to her chasing them down in the car, you know? Yeah. So she eventually follows them all the way to Garcia's compound here. And I love just the the precision military operation she runs by herself here where 
she uh, she takes out a couple of guards and then she puts an SUV in neutral yeah. and just starts walking behind the SUV as everybody's like looking for the driver. She's just shooting them one at a time. She eventually makes her way into the house and uh, she she comes right up to Garcia. Again, you're thinking this is the end of the movie. Now we've got two false endings in the movie. She's finally confronting Garcia and Garcia's daughter comes in. Now she hesitates because, of course, she had her child gunned down in front of her. So even though this is the guy who ordered her daughter and husband to be killed, she hesitates for a second, and Garcia stabs her. Um, so she barely escapes with her life here. Uh, the next time we catch up with her, she is knocking on the door of soccer girl guide mom, snotty mom here, uh, who she punches in the face. Like, again, just any time that Jennifer Garner just inflicts random violence on people, it's got to be hilarious, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, because it's totally different. Especially because the way that her character has written this movie. Like there's a sarcasm where she's not trying to be funny. It's not like I'm not knocking Roger Moore because you know how much I love Roger Moore and James Bond, but it's not Roger Moore, like uh, quite illuminating, you know, it's, it's just lines like, uh, Oh, you know what? I, I got, just so you know, I got your message and guess what? I remembered your address because if you remember this snotty mom had left the address for, if you want to come to the pool party, since I ruined your daughter's birthday, she's like, I remembered your address. Uh, sorry, we missed the party last time. And then she, uh, gets in a bit of an argument with this lady where she's obviously holding her gunpoint. She's like, you know, I couldn't help but notice you don't have your wedding ring. It's too bad. Your husband must have left you. Right. Uh, the lady pees herself here, the soccer mom or whatever. Yeah. And then the only time she threatens somebody's life and doesn't follow through with it is right here, where she says, I'm going to burn down your house now with you inside of it. <laughs> and then just sort of leaves. Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't think I wanted to see her blow up this lady, but like, it's still, it's such a nice thing where you go back. You're like, yeah, she doesn't need to kill this lady because obviously she's not like the most guilty party here, but it's good that she at least got her due, you know? Yeah, and I mean, with the whole scene uh, uh, with the shootout, what was your favorite part? Well, well, which one? The one at the house? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what was your favorite part? I, I you know, it's, I kind of like how they threw that in there with the little girl. Because, again, I mean, otherwise, if they didn't do that, like you said, I think the movie would have just been over. But how it shows the little girl and then she's picturing her daughter's face. Because mm-hmm. um, without that, I think that really, I mean, she would just shoot him and he'd be dead. There's no other conflict there. Yeah, exactly. And her seeing her daughter's face this is actually the second of three times it happened the first time on the bus with the little boy when when she first looked over she saw her daughter now it's the same thing here the next time we see it it's going to be a little bit different but that's kind of a running thing in here I just I love her sneaking around being all Jack Reacher in that scene you know Uh, it's so she, she has all that experience from Alias too yeah, exactly. I mean, she knows how to hold a gun. She knows how to sneak around. Those are the two prerequisites. That's what's on her resume. Jennifer Garner knows how to hold a gun, knows how to run around. Um, so uh, after this, uh, when she leaves the snotty mom's house, um, we uh, we catch up with the cops. And this is where the reveal happens with Carmichael. So when they get to Garcia's house and uh, the cop who now at the point we've been led to believe hey if somebody is gonna be dirty it's gonna be him because he's the one who's always saying don't go near garcia right like you said they're they're subtly putting in the audience's head it's a hispanic cop he must be in on it uh you have him now attacking this narcotics detective which again you have another cop we should mention here who you're being led to believe could be dirty as well because this narcotics cop Carmichael has basically said, you know, I tried to give him all this information. He's not doing anything about it. So now these two guys are getting together and the older cop 
is basically saying, why didn't you ever do anything about this? Like, you know, uh, Carmichael tried to, you could have stopped this. And he goes, Carmichael never talked to me. And that's the moment where, again, it's subtle. They're not basically saying, he's dirty. But if you're paying attention to this movie, you're like, whoa, wait a second. Has Carmichael been telling stories? Is he the dirty cop now? Yeah, oh, such a great reveal, really. And, and, and even with uh, not watching this movie for a little while, I mean, I remember the movie, even though I have memory like Dory, but <laughs> even just watching it again, I... I I didn't think about it, and then I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. He is the bad guy later on because I forgot. Yeah, and again, I I know this. I've seen this movie. I'm trying to think how much. I literally watch this movie at least once a year, okay? This movie's been out for – but I've seen it more than that. Like, I've probably seen this movie six, seven, maybe even eight times, and yet – it's not that I don't remember, but it's just, it's always so satisfying because they play it so well. And also the guy, John Gallagher, who plays Carmichael, he really plays him like incredibly sympathetic. Even when he's the drunken cop, you still so sympathize with this guy. And I think that's one of the, the things about this movie that I like is that his character obviously wasn't dirty from the beginning. It's something that happened in the five years since, you know, uh, there's no way he would have been pushing that hard to help her at the beginning of this movie and to put away Garcia if he was in on it the whole time. What's great is that it happened in between and you can kind of connect the dots in your own head. Uh, Is it that he maybe did something, he screwed up and Garcia got information on it, so now he's forced? Because you can even tell here at the end of the movie, he doesn't want to be helping Garcia. That's the other thing that makes it, you don't feel duped where you're like, oh, I was sympathizing with this guy. You kind of still sympathize with him even when you find out he's dirty here. Yeah, I mean, the the way that they they play it all out is uh, wonderful. I mean, you you don't see it coming. Yeah, well, and especially because the way that you have those two cops, basically, where the audience is now questioning, wait a second, Carmichael's been telling stories. Yeah, is he the dirty cop? All, all of a sudden, you see him shoot the FBI lady. And you're like, ah, yeah, because I then knew you, it. you're bad. Yeah, then you have the FBI agent. Which, by the way, one thing about this movie that doesn't work is how they try to build in like. This weird love story between Carmichael and the FBI agent? Uh, isn't she supposed to be a lesbian? Did they say that in the movie? I don't remember. Oh, I don't know. I, I just, I think I got, I got like lesbian vibes. <laughs> not, you not, got lesbian vibes from her? Not like it's a bad thing. I just, I totally like got, had Gadar going off. I mean, maybe they identify as that and I don't notice, but uh, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't remember. I just know the older cop kind of made a joke about, hey, what's between you and FBI lady? He goes, oh, what are you talking about? It's like they were going somewhere with it. But again, it was probably thrown in there because, you know, the, they, the screenwriters wanted you, if you had any doubt, oh, there's no way Carmichael's going to be the bad guy because they're obviously building a love story here, you know? So I'm not that mad at if, if the intention was that they wanted you to be fooled because, it, again, it's another thing that kind of works so that you don't suspect him because you're used to these types of movies and you think you know where this is going and then it doesn't go that way when she's basically saying, listen... This whole area, no crime reported. Yeah. That's Riley North's van. Never locked. None yeah. of these people are willing to talk. That and mural there. None of them are ever willing to go in the van either. Yeah, exactly. Where she's like, I think I know what's going on here. And, and yet you have that girl earlier in the movie that's like, oh, must be a cop because nobody else would risk bringing the nice car down here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when she says, oh, you're a cop. Well, why do you think I'm a cop? Nobody else would leave a car in this area. Uh, well, a nice car, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but th- this is where the FBI agent says, you know, the low crime is because of her. Like, there are, people are afraid here. Uh, and this is where you have that reveal of Carmichael, you know, shoots her. Obviously, she's the bad guy. Uh, she's the bad guy, yes. She was terrible. He shot her because she was the bad guy. No, he was the bad guy. I know. I was a mistake. Anyways. Okay, so uh, the kids who 
keep watching Riley every time she gets in uh, her vehicle, every time she's in the area. The kids who you know said to the FBI lady, you know, you don't leave a car like that in this area. Uh, they witnessed her killing here, um, and uh, Jennifer Garner uh, is is hurt obviously after being stabbed. She collapses inside a building, and this is where we get that flash of her daughter, where she's not seeing somebody else, but she's basically dying. And the daughter kind of says something like "Get up, mommy," and then she just responds. You know, it's a little bit cheesy, but. Oh well, I mean, I'm not that mad at it, right? Colin's like, she should have died. I don't, I don't mind this kid. I have no problem with this kid. <sighs> yeah, you and kids in movies. But Garcia arrives here, and he's basically brought his entire gang to this street corner, where now they realize this is where she is. Uh, and um, the the guy, Carmichael, the the cop, this is where there's still some sympathies. Like, you know, don't you think that maybe you shouldn't bring everybody here? Like, you're basically announcing yourself to get arrested. Oh, for sure. Garcia's like, I don't care. But I still think there's a part of Carmichael is like, you know what, do we have to kill her? Like, there's got to be a better way to do this where, where it doesn't end up in bloodshed. Uh, they know where she is uh, in this dilapidated building or whatever. And here you get probably one of the best kills of the entire movie where one of these goons, one of these henchmen is sneaking around. And of course there's holes in the floor uh, and Jennifer Garner just pushes a desk through the hole and crushes the man. Like that's, if I have to pick a favorite kill of the movie, I think that's my favorite one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's wonderful, that one. I like it, too. <laughs> it's wonderful. It is. I like that one. But we also get the, the smoke grenade that she stole here as well, yeah. where she hides under the blanket, yeah. and the smoke grenade goes off. Again, just her setting these booby traps, very, like, Skyfall-like. Uh, so on the radio, um, they're basically, Garcia is saying, hey, you know what? We're, you, you're here to protect all these people. I'm going to kill all of these people unless you turn yourself over to me. So now she has a bit of a dilemma. Uh, everybody's going to die. And at this point, this whole legend of her through all the newscasts and even just seeing like the way people in this neighborhood respond, the fact there's no crime, you don't have to be told it, but she's kind of become like the protector of this area. So even though she wants revenge for her daughter, like this is sort of the dilemma of the movie is that uh, will she give herself up now because of this? Uh, she is sort of hiding out in the alley and she hears a phone ring, and it's the, it's the FBI lady uh, who's in a dumpster, and she takes the phone out. This is where she gets the idea, because this whole legend of Riley North has been building in the newscast, have even shown a couple of glimpses in the background here and there. You know, public support seems to show that people are behind what she's doing. Like, they, you know, they're, they're not against her. She live streams herself somehow to the news. Now, I don't know, did she have the number to a news station and FaceTime it? Like, how did she get on the news immediately? You know, I'm not even sure, but I, I remember uh, uh, that because I was thinking about that too, because if you do 911, I mean, it's not a video call. Yeah, the only thing I could think of is that maybe she, I don't know, phoned a news line or something like that and said, hey, this is the number, I'm shooting a video. Or because this is blown up on social media, we also saw those moments earlier in the movie where they show like people tweeting about her, right? Like, oh, she's she's bringing justice, you know, for the, this travesty. You know, I support this lady, even though she's killing people, that maybe she just goes on social media, finds that she's trending and starts streaming this video and everybody starts sharing. I mean, it could be any of that. I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind an explanation, but I don't think we need it for that. Uh, but she's basically showing the video saying, this is Garcia. That's his entire gang. And that guy there showing Carmichael, he's a dirty cop. And this is where his partner, the older guy we thought was, and the other guy, the narcotics detective, was like, let's go get him, guys. Yeah. Uh, 
So she's basically live streaming this whole thing and, and invites people. I want all the news media down here. If you have a phone and you want to come see this, come see it, film it. Let's do something about this, right? She's now involving the public and really becoming like this cult figure. Uh, she goes down unarmed, confronts Garcia. Uh, he starts hitting her. Uh, and he's very much stalling in his beating. And this is where Carmichael's like, why don't you just kill her and get it over with? Like, he's not doing it to be cruel, but he's like, she's stalling. She's doing this so that the cops come here. So get this over with. And uh, I love when he punches her. This was that your opening line. Yeah. You hit like a girl yeah. where she tells it to him. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, the, the whole ending, we don't have like a big massive showdown between her and Garcia. We don't have a big fight scene. What we get is the police finally show up and Garcia just turns and shoots Carmichael. Uh, and then Riley goes after Garcia here. We have a bit of a standoff at the end, not like a massive action sequence, but it's more, it's dramatically satisfying uh, that you had this delay where he's beating her senselessly and she just keeps taunting him. Then when she has Garcia at gunpoint in the alley, the police are there. They're like, they've got their guns on her. They're like, listen, we have him now. We can put him away, you know, and this is now her decision of, okay, well, do I let them put them put them away? And he, he mouths off and he says, I'm going to, sp- you're going to spend more time in prison than I am lady. Uh, and then she says, we're not going to prison. And then she just shoots him right in the head. Uh, then she just suddenly disappears. The cop catches up with her later as she's collapsed on her um, son or her son, her daughter in her husband's grave. And she's basically dying and she's even talking to them saying like, you know, uh, you know, I, I, this is it. Uh, I'm done now. And the cop says, this isn't the end of your story. Uh, and she's basically saying, this is the end of my story. But obviously it's not because the next time she wakes up, she's in the hospital and we get the news try or the newscast in the background talking about public opinion is very much in favor of this vigilante lady that, that has caught the world by storm. Uh, however, the police have said that she will stand trial for uh, her crimes. We have a bit of the news conference saying, yes, she will stand trial for her crimes. The cop that we now realize is the good cop comes to see her. He's, again, very sympathetic. He's like, you know, I just want you to know that, uh, you know, whatever happens, uh, you have a lot of support among us. We, you know, uh, support you. We are happy with what you did. And then all of a sudden he just takes her hand and he walks away. And then they cut to a final shot where she's got the key in her hand realize he's letting her go and then they just randomly cut to a shot of the key uh not even the key of the handcuffs just empty that i kind of i kind of wish we saw a little bit more i don't think we needed to see that the handcuffs being empty i think just seeing the ending of him taking her hand and then walking away and then she opens it and the keys in the palm of her hand and then maybe just cut back to her face i think i would like that better but still is it set up for a sequel i don't know obviously there's some talk about a sequel but one way or the other, the only way to end this movie is she gets away with it, right? Well, I mean, no, because you need justice in the end. Otherwise, the movie's pointless. But, but wait, but justice for... Like, you're, you're saying that the movie should have ended with her going to prison? No, no, with... Uh, never mind, I thought you said something else. I thought you were talking about the other guy getting away with it. I thought he doesn't that's... get away with it. He dies. No, I know, but I thought you were talking about if the ending was like that. No, no, no. What I'm saying is... The ending where she's in the hospital bed and the cop comes to visit her and says, we're with you, even if you do end up going to a prison, we support what you did. He takes her hand and then all of a sudden she opens up her hand when he's out of the room. She's got a key there. And then they cut to that weird shot of the cuffs being empty because you have to show. They don't even show her, you know, 
uncuffing herself and walking out. I just think a better ending to that instead of showing like the empty handcuffs is just end it with the key in her hand or end it with her uncuffing herself and walking away. It's just it's just kind of a weird shot at the end, you know? Uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's a little bit weird. Anything else you want to talk about in the end, the big showdown with Garcia? Um, I mean, I can't think of anything. I think we pretty much talked about everything. Okay. <laughs> Glad you're here, Jamie. I, re- I really do like this movie, though. It's one that I would watch uh, again if it's ever on. I just thought you said you really like smoothies, and I thought, what if what if she said, we're going to go for pizza and a carnival and smoothies? This movie could have like, been called... I like this movie. No, but imagine this movie could have called Smoothie. Yeah, it could have been, or, or mashed potato. <laughs> or oatmeal raisin, or key lime. Uh, anyways, one new thing I want to do here. Uh, when you Google a movie, you have like the, the questions. People also ask, right? And when you Google Peppermint Movie... These are the four most common questions that come up. Is Peppermint a sad movie? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the answer for that is Peppermint is a sad excuse for a vigilante film. It's, I guess, a critical review. Uh, you have, is Peppermint a good movie? Uh, the answer is the film is well worth watching. Is Peppermint based on a true story? <laughs> wow. uh, it is entirely fictional is the answer to that. Uh, and then, why is the film Peppermint called Peppermint? The answer is, Peppermint gets his name from the species called Piperita, which means peppery. Obviously, has nothing to do with the movie, <laughs> the answer to that one. But, uh, yeah, let's go over just uh, the closing stuff here. Now, critically, we'll get to that in a second. Well, let's just talk about critically now. This movie got atrocious reviews. Like, I mean, terrible, terrible reviews, which I don't understand because on IMDb, it has like a 6.3. So 6.4, so even higher. Like, this is up there with Taken as far as, like, audience response goes. But critically, if you had to guess what percentage this has on Rotten Tomatoes, 1 out of 100, what percentage of critics gave this a positive view? What would your guess be? Uh, I'm going to guess, like, 72%. 13%. What? Come on. This is, like, terribly reviewed movie. Now, addressing the reason for that, a lot of the reviews you read basically say it is a generic action movie. Fair enough. So is every movie Liam Neeson puts out, and I still love them, right? If you're a fan of this genre, you're a fan of the genre. I mean, I'm not going to criticize. If people just hate movies like this, I can't criticize it. But a lot of the criticism this movie got when it came out was around the fact that it dealt with Hispanic drug lords. Now, I can see the argument as to why that could be considered offensive, right? Yeah. Because it is definitely overdone in movies. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's sort of like the uh, that old thing about uh, if you have a black character in a movie, they're going to be the first one to die. You know what I mean? You've heard that? Yeah, I've, I've heard that. Now, I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but I'm saying that not every movie that's ever done that has done it with malicious intent. Uh, just like not every movie that involves Hispanic drug lords is tried to depict Hispanic people in a negative light. If you watch this movie, the good cop is the Hispanic cop, you know? Uh, and a lot of the other people in the neighborhood are the good people. The dirty cops are kind of the villains of this movie. The dirty judges are the villains of this movie. You simply have the Hispanic drug lords. Now, the argument a lot of people make is saying, in today's day and age, you can't have a movie like this because it is so overdone that the Hispanics are always the drug lords, right? Okay, is it overdone? Yes, but is that Peppermint's fault, or is it the fault of hundreds of other movies that came first? I think, personally... It probably would just be that maybe some other movies didn't handle it necessarily the best because anybody's race or color or whatever, you could put anybody as being a gangster. Like, again, I I mentioned American Gangster earlier and, you know, those people that are are doing... That's a true story. Yeah, but um, I mean, 
those people that are doing that, they're not Hispanic, they're just black. But I mean, you could look at, uh, there's, uh, you know, the Godfather with like the Italians and stuff like that yeah. too. You could, you could do any, anybody could be a gangster. And, it's and, just, it's just how you handle it. And if you do it tastefully. And you know, it's a similar complaint. If you make a movie about the mafia or a mob, why is it always depicting Italians? You know, yeah. I can understand valid complaints where people are saying we're tired of being depicted this way. But again, it's not, Peppermint handles it a lot better than other movies do. This is not depicting an entire race as evil. There are good Hispanic characters in this movie. You just simply have Hispanic drug lords as well, which yeah. it is a real thing. I mean, I'm not saying that it is the only thing. Yeah. You could very well have white drug lords in this movie, yeah. uh, but they chose to go Hispanic drug lords, partly, I believe, because they wanted that surprise at the end when you find out that like the white cop is the dirty one. Or like Colombians. Which would still fall into Hispanic, I believe. But yes. Oh well, I don't know. <laughs> I love, you. You had a hand gesture, like, uh huh. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, but but anyways, my my point is that there is a, a lot of the, almost every review you read. In fact, this movie, there's even reviews you find that say this movie is racist. That's going too far because again, one of the two heroes of this movie is the Hispanic character. Yeah, I, and like I said, I, I think personally that they they use that so that you think that he's the bad cop but you don't really know what's going to happen until the end of the movie yeah and like it's like I was comparing the thing with uh, you know this horror movie I guess would be the primary thing uh, thing over the years where it was such a cliche that whenever you had a black character the black character was always killed first nobody realized this until you got to the 90s where like this has been going on for 20 years and nobody's talking about this now when you bring it up okay obviously filmmakers should not do this just for the sake of doing it they should be conscious not to do it but does that automatically mean that you can never again have a movie where a black character dies first just because it's been done to death or does it mean in general people should be more selective with how they do it that's kind of what i'm saying yeah because the selective for sure right because Because here's the thing you even watch like scream and stuff like that and they have the you know the horror movie rules and stuff so i was saying you know the blonde bimble right yeah like if if you if you say like i'll be right back then you're gonna die or you know if you're if you're a virgin then you're safe yeah and and again i'm not saying that it, it, it it shouldn't be a thing where maybe let's tone down hispanics always being the villain but it just it seems very selective when you want to criticize when the only criticism a lot of critics had about this movie was it is racist for that reason but yet nobody holds breaking bad or better call Saul to fault and i love those shows i mean ben and nick cover them every single week but if you fine you want to label that then should better call Saul and breaking bad automatically not have hispanic villains in it because it falls into the same stereotype i don't think so uh, my, my point just being if that is the only criticism people have about this movie then you miss the point yeah. because one of the heroes is the hispanic cop yeah i agree now yeah 19 percent of rotten tomatoes uh, so obviously not a good response uh just going through some of the reviews that it did get uh at one point it was 12 percent, or it said 13 percent of rotten tomatoes so it's actually gone up a percent that's positive uh, one review here says that uh, it's Death Wish on steroids, but it lacks subtlety and anything even remotely resembling credibility. But like its heroine, it certainly gets the job done. So a slightly positive review. I'm going to disagree with the lack subtlety. If anything, this movie is way more subtle oh, than yeah. your generic action they, movie. They don't just come right out and give you all the facts someone's for sure. It's very subtle. Yeah, you, the audience is allowed to fill in the, the details themselves. And as we said, a lot of the violence happens off camera and a lot of the, the, the setup happens off camera. So yeah. disagree with that. Uh, Richard Roper gave it two out of four, said uh, stylishly directed, but gratuitously nasty and cliche riddled. Again, I disagree. This movie is not gratuitously nasty. 
if anything, it's one of the more toned down violent movies that we've seen of this genre. Um, and I, I don't think that you, I think that that's kind of unfair to say that though, because when you really watch the movie and you see what this lady has been through, you don't really feel bad for the people she's killing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, this almost got unanimously bad reviews. So uh, in response to that, we are going to look at a 10-star review on IMDb we do here. Okay, so I'm going to start by reading some of the titles here of the 10-star reviews. Awesome, all in capital letters. Uh, that person said, uh, glad I watched it. Sad part about it is most of it could and probably is true with crooked, money-hungry cops and crooked judges. I'm pretty sure that most people you get, got the point here that this movie has a lot to do with just the corruption. Yeah. Uh, another example of the so-called elite not getting it. Again, the people who love this movie are not walking away from it being like, you know, serves them Hispanics, right? You know, they're walking... These pause reviews are all saying, hey, this movie is about the, the corruption. That's the problem. Um, Revenge is a candy best served dead. That's a great title. That is, yeah. <laughs> Don't even need to read the review. Um, but... Uh, Mama Bear at its finest. Oh, this one's definitely worth reading. Very short review. Only two out of seven people found this one useful from uh, Latessa E. Jacob. Uh, wrote, Jennifer Garner, thank you for leading this role in Peppermint. This is definitely a movie to remember. You looked amazing during the entire movie. I don't know if they realized they weren't writing this to Jennifer Garner. This is just written for people to read on IMDb. She, but. she always looks amazing, though. She could have, like... You know the greasiest terror and oh, like she does do half this movie, like, like uh, all this stained nighty and whatever else, and like the super hairy Chewbacca legs, and you would still be like, "Get over here, Jennifer." <laughs> Who wouldn't, right? Uh, all right, so uh, what are we missing here? We did the reviews. Box office, okay. So box office, I've again unfairly seen this movie labeled as a bomb, which it's anything but. Uh, for a movie that costs barely twenty million dollars to make, it made. 54 million dollars worldwide overall so 35 of that was uh in north america 18 overseas so just under 54 million dollars worldwide for a movie that cost 20 million dollars like that's a hit now overall box office uh annual and uh well let's look at the weekend here this movie opens september 7th uh and this is where you're gonna see why uh, you didn't see this with me opening weekend because yeah. we saw something else the, the opening day. Uh, this movie came second place to the boss, box office, open with $13.4 million, uh, just behind or just ahead of Crazy Rich Asians, which uh, had been out for a couple weeks at that point. Uh, and it was beaten out by The Nun, The Conjuring spinoff. That was a really awful movie, and I love those movies. Remember, we went like opening night to that? I mean, yeah. we went the Thursday you night screen. You basically went for me. Well, y- yes, and w- we had a coworker who kind of asked us for a favor, <laughs> if you remember, because they had committed themselves to going to this movie with somebody that they weren't comfortable going with, so they asked us to come along, so oh, it wasn't right. awkward. Right, I remember now, I remember. Yeah, a- and you wanted to see the movie, so when she was at work talking about, oh, this movie, The Nun, and I kind of got to go on this date or whatever, and I'm not comfortable with it, and I'm like, well, Jamie wants to see that movie, and then it's like, okay, well, let's go. You know, <laughs> so that movie was terrible, but yeah, Peppermint, way better than that, but Peppermint, number two, 13 million opening, pretty good opening, and 53, um, 54 million overall box office is solid. Uh, it finished 80th place at the domestic box office at year end, uh, with actually just $35 million overall, uh, just beating out the favorite, which won an Academy award that year for best actress, uh, and just losing out to alpha 
Mile 22, 1517 to Paris, and The Commuter. The Commuter made just barely a million dollars more than this. Liam Neeson movie, uh, where nobody calls that movie a bomb, but yet this movie's a bomb, and I guarantee The Commuter costs more than Peppermint to make. Yeah. If you had to pick between The Commuter and Peppermint, which one do you prefer? Um, pr- pr- I'd probably still pick this one. I, yeah, I agree, because uh, I think that The Commuter, we've talked about many Liam Neeson movies, uh, but... Uh, that one, I think the premise was more interesting than what we got. It was a good movie, but it, I think it could have been a great movie. It wasn't. This one, I think, was better than I expected it to be. Uh, which brings us to the end here. Do you want to buy this, rent it, or bin it? Uh, buy it. Good. So you're going to buy this. I didn't buy it. You bought it for me, but yes. I would have bought it for myself. There you go. Because, uh, again, I've watched this movie a half a dozen, if not more times. I never really get sick of it. Uh, I actually think that it, you have the top of the line let's not call them Jerry action. Let's call them mature action stars, uh, which would be films like taken and nonstop for Liam Neeson, right? Uh, Jack Reacher equalizer, John wick. Those are obviously like the top, top notch ones. Uh, as far as like, you know, other ones I would consider this to be up there. It's probably near the top of the middle of those. It's not quite like the greatest action movie you've ever seen, but it's solid compared to a lot of the other generic action movies that come out nowadays. Uh, now, ranking this, you asked me a question when we were uh, watching the movie. You said, where would this rank among your favorite Jennifer Garner movies? And I said, well, we'll talk about it in the episode. And you got mad at me. Well, I guess we can't talk about anything oh, during this movie at all. I was just teasing. Good, because I told you, well, if you remember, we're ranking these movies. Now, we rank, we did four movies this month. We had 13 Go On 30, Odd Life of Timothy Green, Draft Day, and this. Yeah. Rank those movies in order. Uh, 13 going on 30 is always going to be number one and then probably draft day and this one and then Timothy Green yeah I agree and I like Timothy Green more than you did uh, but uh, I think that the other three movies I definitely are, will go back to uh, Timothy Green I've watched it twice in my life uh, maybe three times but uh, these other three movies I will watch all the time and never get sick of them um, are there any other Jennifer Garner movies that we didn't cover this year that you would be wanting to cover next year uh, I don't know about covering, but the ones that I that stand out that I really like is uh, I also like uh, Ghost of Girlfriends Past. Yeah, well, Matthew McConaughey as well, right? Uh, I'm trying to think of any other ones that I like. I actually really liked her in Juno. Yeah, Invention of Lying is one that you should really check out. It's a very clever movie. And I'll say the same for Arthur. Like, Arthur, I think... I've never even heard of that one. Well, it's based on a movie that Dudley Moore did in the 80s, which got, like, Oscar-nominated, and Russell Brand um, remade Arthur. Uh, And it's sort of, I think it's just a forgotten movie, but I think it's a lot better than it's given credit for. Uh, But, uh, yeah, the movie she made, Butter, I think that would be an obvious choice, if you remember that one at all. Hugh Jackman had a small role in that one, but that was just the the butter carving competition. yes, I vaguely remember that one. that's a great movie. I'm not saying we are going to do this next year, but, I mean, those would be some others that you could throw in the mix there. But, uh... It's sad we've come to the end, Jamie. That's right. Yeah, I guess uh I guess uh that's it for Jennifer Garner. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. We we we've put a we've, we've put a bow on your career. You've uh, you've cursed her and now now she's going to mysteriously die. Oh, see, I I was saying I thought you were implying the other way around. I was like you're never going to top this. Don't make another movie. You have been recapped on the Oz network. You are now in the company of Brendan Fraser and Renee Russo. Can life get better than this? Or was it was it Ben that predicted somebody's James Bond's death? Was That's, it Ben? Well, two James Bonds were killed because of Ben. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we're safe then. Yeah, we're ben, safe. Ben, Ben's not here. 
he's the problem. He's the problem, yes. Uh, but you all have to listen to Ben if you want to listen about Breaking Bad and how uh, they get no criticism for having Hispanic drug dealers in there. Uh, you know, I've, I've never seen those shows, but I, I don't know if it really would be my thing. But uh, I, but you make it sound so interesting. Yeah, I didn't think it was my thing, and yet I have not stopped watching Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, uh, including last night, the new episode of uh, Better Call Saul I caught up on. But uh yeah, if, if you've watched the show, listen to uh, Nick and Ben's coverage. Uh, even if you think Ben is the problem, listen to Nick and Ben's coverage. It's pretty good. Uh, as well, Ben and I cover 24 every single week. We're on to season three right now, which is exciting. Uh, Lost is going to be on hiatus. Thank you very much, Noah. Um, <laughs> again, it's always Noah's fault. Uh, Ben's not the problem. Noah's the problem, let's be honest. He'll probably wash up on a beach somewhere, and then they'll start Lost again. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, other than that, we have Doctor Strange, which is coming out next week. I don't know if we're going to do a review because I think you're all reviewed out. But we're going to see the new Liam Neeson movie, Memory, that comes out from Martin Campbell, the guy who directed Casino Royale. It looks like a great movie. We're it going to see that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to see that, but we probably won't do a review. Or maybe we'll just do it on Patreon. Just pay us to listen to it. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't joking. Pay us. Pay us money. Other people are paying us money. You should too. Uh, but next week, Doctor Strange, we're definitely going to have a review for that, hopefully by the end of the weekend. That'll probably be our next big thing. Movie months, um, we're, we're still trying to get movie months back together. We have to get caught up on some more of our TV stuff. The reason we're doing this right now is you know, to buy Ben some time as he's moved across the world and uh, is trying to you know catch up on uh, the Lost and the 24 recordings and all that. But uh, we are going to be bringing movie months back. We're going to be doing our regulars. Um Bad movie month, um, anniversary month, and uh, what's the other thing? Something else. Something else we always do. <laughs> but you, you know what you'll have to do. Uh, it's it's something that's like a rabbit trail. But you're talking about like Ben moving across the world. How weird is it to think about somebody basically just taking like a backpack that's on their back and that's it? You know what? Yeah. What, what do they take with them? Like, does he take a toothbrush and like toothpaste and basically undies, and then is like, oh, I got all the money to buy other crap when I'm there? Well, hey, I, I'll be honest. When when I fly, when I go to Calgary or whatever once a year, uh, I will pack a minimal amount. I will pop, pack like two changes of clothes, thinking I can wash one pair of clothes in the sink if I have to, yeah. uh, and I don't need to pack. I could pack a tooth brush but i don't need to pack toothpaste or anything like that because it'll be cheaper for me to go to a dollar store than it will be for me to pay for baggage claim well and you're even smarter than that you've you taught me this trick just to basically wear wear two layers yeah when i go on a plane because you you can only have so much in your bag yeah i will just put a bunch of layers on me and then if i you know on the plane want to take a shirt off i take a shirt off yeah so like i'm curious like what is he what does he bring with him like what what's his essentials considered coming soon to patreon ben goes through his suitcase yeah yeah <laughs> It'll, it'll be coming. You have to pay us first, though. But uh, yeah, movie months, uh, Jurassic Park. We've already covered the first four movies uh, before Fallen Kingdom came out a couple of years ago. But uh, we are going to be co- covering Fallen Kingdom, and we're going to do similar to what we do for Spider-Man. We're going to release an episode of the best of our first four movies that we recapped uh, before Jurassic World Dominion comes out next month. And then I'm sure by the summer we'll have our act together and we'll have some more movie recaps. So and, get excited. And, and hopefully they don't have any more cloning little girls. Well, uh, I'm sure they'll find new ways to... uh, That's the new Jump the Shark is clone the little girl. (laughs) I mean, I I can't believe that it's uh, it's already coming next month, but... Yes. It'll be good. Yes, next next month, because we're still in April. Oh, yes, yes. So stay tuned for that. Um, Thank you. We're going to wrap this up, because Jamie wants to go to bed. My name is Oatmeal Raisin. 
And my name is Potato Chip Crumbs. Thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.